the seven dreaded gateways to hell are concealed in seven cursed places. Welcome to episode 53 of the Bloody Podcast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. I'm Jeff Nelson. And we are here shattering away. By the way, I've recognized that that's what I did. Those oh, are my, pa- those are my pauses. pauses. I'm, I'm I, emulating the great Shatner. So. You're doing a great job. I <laughs> don't mean to. <laughs> Is this what you want from us, fighting one another? <laughs> are you not entertained? <laughs> Eating tribbles. <laughs> so little meat. Oh, anyway. <laughs> you ever wondered if there were bones in tribbles? I, I would assume not. I would assume not. No. I have re- I ripped this thing right off the rails. Folks, but I if apologize. But if, if Lucio Fulci ever did uh, had done that episode, we would have found out what was inside those tribbles. <laughs> I guarantee you. Well, we would have discovered that tribbles have eyeballs and that they can be poked yes. out with knitting needles or something. Yes, yes. we must caution our, our listeners that uh, you might want to put on your protective goggles. We're wearing ours. Because uh, oh, yes. anytime you talk about Lucio Fulci, you need to wear protection. There will be mu- there, there will be much eye trauma. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> uh, we are here tonight to talk to you about a Lucio Fulci film called The Beyond, a film that I love dearly and that I think is um, well, it's considered if not his greatest horror film, then at least one of the the top two or three. Um, it's very well regarded both amongst gore hounds. And amongst people who who just really enjoy an atmospheric, completely batshit, insane horror movie, of which it clearly fits. Most the definitely. Bill. Most definitely. It feels. It, it. I have to say, it feels a little strange talking about a film that I actually feel like anyone who's listening to this podcast has seen. You know, it's almost like I feel like we're talking about like a, a blockbuster or something. Yes. Because among mm-hmm. the genre that we usually deal in, well, Rod and I usually deal in with the, our Nashi cast, our side, or, you know, our other podcast. Uh, this would be this would be considered like a yeah like a Jaws or a Star Wars. I mean, this is like you know this is like one of the big daddies you know of the of Euro horror. I think it's so. true, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I've shied away. I mean, this is episode fifty three. There's a reason that I, mm. we haven't talked about a film mm. of this stature in the Euro horror genre yet, and it's because I do think that uh, to a degree everything that can be said has been said about these movies, but there comes a point when you realize that. There's a whole new group of people coming up. Every time these things get, uh, they go through a cycle of being issued or reissued on mm-hmm. video, there's a whole new cycle of people who have never been exposed to this film and never even necessarily heard of it, who are all of a sudden going, oh, there's this Blu-ray of this film that I've never heard of before called The Beyond, and it's by this guy named Lucio Fulci, and that the guy that made, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And um, almost everybody knows the zombie film. Yeah, so everybody said, "Oh yeah, he's the one who did zombie film, right?" Right. But you're right because we 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 do. You and I still get emails all the time from people who are you know saying, "Hey, I'm new to this genre. I'm just new to Euro horror and kind of discovering it in a lot of ways through our podcast." So. So you're right. There are always the newbies out there who might not have seen this film. So in the past, there's been a there's been a desire within me to kind of stay away from, as you put it, kind of the blockbusters of the genre, uh, to stay away from them because, to my mind, they might have been talked about more than some other films that I'd rather you know rather focus on to a degree just to bring more attention to them. But I, I think that uh, my thinking has been changed in the past 
six to seven months simply because of things like you're talking about where they've started mm. to add up over time. And I've started to realize, okay, look, there's a lot of people out there who are just learning about Lucio Fulci, who are just digging into Dario Argento, who are just realizing there was this guy named Mario Bava who made a whole lot of movies and I, I had no idea that you know this movie and that movie was made by the same person. So after a yeah. little while... Uh, you come to the conclusion that maybe it's not fresh ground, but maybe that you can bring a new audience to it, or you can at least say something in a fresher, more interesting way that will cause people who are, you know, aficionados of this, who've, who've enjoyed it for years and years and years, might hear something fresh or rekindle that desire to rewatch a certain movie. Or to hear if, or to hear if, we, if some of our insights match up with some of the things they thought about it before. And I know I do that a lot of times when I'm yeah. listening mm-hmm. to a podcast yeah. about by some from somebody else about a movie I love to hear. I kind of catch and see. Wonder if, wonder if this part that I love, if they remark or that I think's bizarre or funny, if they even um, remark on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and Jeff, you were really the one who kind of suggested we do this show, and it's great you did because you know our specialty is kind of been as people who listen to Bloody Pit know you know that the three of us typically get together for something Italian. That's kind of our mm-hmm. uh, niche. There is we yeah. like. Uh, Talking about the Italian stuff, and we've, but uh, uh, but yeah, it was it was it was kind of your idea to yeah, well, we should do this. Well, uh, of course, the special edition, a wonderful special edition, came out uh, last year, twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. and it, and of course, Rod, just like what you mentioned, you know, a new audience is receiving this film, yeah. and of course, yeah. now they can receive it in the absolute best format with plenty of extras as well, and then mm-hmm. we got commentaries on there. It's just very exciting, and so it's just exciting world we live in right now that. Anything and everything is just coming out. Or, well, or I gotta hopefully. say, I gotta say that speaking of that Blu-ray from Grindhouse, I um, <laughs> I've had I'd had it for a few months, and, and it was only in the past uh, week and a half I sat down and finally watched the movie off that Blu-ray. And I love this movie, and I've loved this movie. I mean, you know, not to not to give the game away, but mm. I do love this movie quite a bit. And I've watched it, and up upwards of a dozen mm. to fifteen or sixteen times in my life, at mm. the very the very least. Mm. I've seen it projected on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I've watched it on video multiple times. This time around, I don't know if it's just been a number of years since I rewatched it, or if it's just the amazing nature of the visuals of this Blu-ray, but it was like watching a brand new movie, one that I was shocked by. Because I, not shocked in the way that you would expect, but shocked mm-hmm. in that I, would, I think I was seeing detail, mm-hmm. and I think I was seeing... Um, Elements in uh, the set design, the lighting, uh, the, 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 just the way that the film is pieced together. I think I was paying attention to things because of the clarity and beauty of this Blu-ray that I just never seen before. I mean, they had to be there. It's not mm-hmm. as if they're altering the film or they're, they're adding anything to it, but they are definitely... I, I don't know. I, I have to, I'd have to go back to, to past releases of it to do a comparison and that's what DVD Beaver is for not me but I'll say this was a revelatory experience I saw things this time around not just in a new way but I saw things that I didn't even know were there it really took me aback there were a couple of times I backed the movie up a couple of minutes just to look at something again and realize that I'd never seen that detail or I'd mm, never right, noticed yeah. that thing hanging on the Perfect wall. Perfect example, anything in the in the basement, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so every, every, anywhere, anywhere, where it's in relatively the house. Re- relatively dark, but mm-hmm. now you can see everything. Yeah. yeah it was. It was. 
It was an eye opening, and it still is that dark dingy. With the eyes, yeah, I was going to say, I was. So you're going with that, and I like it. Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, how did uh, if if, if it, Jeff? We'll start with you. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Actually, I do, and you had a lot to do with it because I borrowed oh, wow. okay. I borrowed a VHS copy of yours, and I don't oh, know okay. if it was Video Search Miami. I'm I'm really not sure. Oh, who knows? But but that was uh, that was the first time I saw it, and. Um, and I enjoyed I enjoyed the hell of it the first time, but I enjoyed it more the second time because there was that there's a strong story underneath there, or and or a, stro- a story that there's quite a bit of uh, open to interpretation. Oh yeah, that, that anyone can look at it as, as like, are we seeing this? Or are they seeing this? Or is this actually happening? Do they think it's actually happening? What's going on? Yeah, which characters are ghosts? Which characters actually exist? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Troy? When did you first see it? Um. If you remember, huh? well, I, I'm a little more vague in my memories than uh, than, than Jeff, uh, but um, I can say that I, I I had seen some other Fulci before I saw this. It wasn't my first Fulci. I had actually had the incredible good fortune to see a couple of Fulci on the big screen because I, I've talked about this before in our other podcast. And that, uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, in the early '80s, there was a Nashville theater that managed to get some Italian horror movies in. I don't know how that happened, but uh, I, I saw both Demons films on the big screen, and I got to see Gates of Hell and House by the Cemetery in that theater. Wow! Did not get to see, uh, and then Zombie, I, I got on video, but uh, with uh, Beyond, I think everybody knows that there's the, the notorious, uh, horrible cut of it that Blockbuster carried uh, for years that was under the title of Seven Doors of Seven Death. Seven Doors of Death. Death. Mm-hmm. And I was I was telling Jeff before we started recording here that I honestly I can't remember if I saw it I pushed it out of my memory you know it it, it, it I know I remember seeing it in Blockbuster a lot because the only good thing about it was it had an awesome cover because the cover was kind of done in the style of almost like an EC comic it looked like hmm. but and I and I was very familiar with the name Lucio Fulci but I kind of think that I had gotten wind or word that it was a bad version that it's not the one to see yeah so. I'm thinking I never actually rented it. If I did, I've totally forgotten it. So my first memory of seeing it was getting a was when the glorious days of bootleg VHS, you know, where you could start ordering them out of magazines like Psychotronic and all that. I think I got them. It might have even been through Video Search of Miami, but I know that the first my first memory of seeing it was finally, was actually getting to see a fairly nice widescreen bootleg of it, uh, and was a, a appropriately gobsmacked, as they say. You know, it definitely blew me out of the water the first time I saw it for sure. I don't remember um, which Fulci film I saw first, but I suspect it was Zombie. I know that soon afterwards I did see this one because, much like uh, much like any movie nut worth uh, the worth his salt, as soon as I determined that this was something I liked, it was a vein of film that I wanted to delve deeply into. I sought out as much as possible. The same way that I I work my way through the back catalog of Hitchcock films from, you know, from Psycho backwards. I also worked my way through every Fulci film that I could get my hands on. And of course this was in the, this was in the nineties. And so, yeah, it was the bootleg market. It was always a gray market mm-hmm. that initially introduced me to this stuff. One of the early laser discs I bought was Fulci's Zombie. Oh yeah, those were the glory days. Those big LP-sized <laughs> <laughs> digital versions of films that allowed you to actually see the damn things in widescreen, and there might be a commentary track. Yeah, but the um, joys of that movie 
led directly to um i'm pretty sure zombie was first Mm -hmm. and then uh but i'll I'll say as soon as i saw the beyond i don't remember it it, i don't remember who i bought it from i know it was a bootleg i know it was some bootleg operation i don't know if it was video search or if it was one of the other multitude of of uh of uh illegal video vendors that i dealt with over the years but uh Man, that and uh, meet the feebles. Those were those were the good old days, man. Those were the good old days. And we spent twenty bucks on it, and we were happy about that. We were happy to spend that twenty bucks on even it, even if we could barely see it. Yeah, <laughs> if it was video search in Miami, it was twenty five bucks. Yeah, you're right. That's right. So. Then of course came along, uh, you know, City of the Living Dead, and then House by the Cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the those are the four Fulci films. Those are the uh, the four big gore movies that um, that really kind of spawned the the Lucio Fulci cult within horror fandom. And uh, I don't want to go batshit crazy and talk about this too much, but I do find myself still frustrated to this day that there are, there's a subset of uh, horror fans of Euro cult horror fans who Mm -hmm. their Fulci fanaticism begins and ends with those four movies. That's all he made. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He only made those four. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, um, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to pretend that uh, every movie that Lucio Fulci made is is something that I think is a good movie. But uh, I do also. I do love. I mean, you know, you'll find the real. I mean, you'll find the people within that that gore cult mm-hmm. of Lucio Fulci fans who uh, maybe they know about New York Ripper. Mm-hmm. Maybe right, they know about right. New York mm-hmm. Ripper. Maybe mm-hmm. they've heard of. Uh, of that one, maybe they even know about you know Enigma cat, or the Black yeah, Cat the black or cat. something along those lines. But. Um, People, you got to back up. You got to go back into the 70s where he made a couple of really interesting westerns. I could even entice you by telling you that Four of the Apocalypse, one of his spaghetti westerns, has a lot of gore in it. So Mm -hmm. maybe that'll, maybe that'll get you to see that one as well. (laughs) But uh, he had, I mean, he did every kind of movie in the world. I mean, the first uh, several years of his career, he was famous for making comedies. And this was in Mm. the 60s. Uh, In the late 60s, he moved into uh, making uh, things like uh, the the great historical drama Beatrice Chensi, and uh, then he started doing thrillers like uh, One on Top of the Other, and uh, he did uh, a number of uh, great giallos and thrillers in the 70s. And if you enjoy his gore movies, if all you're interested in is is the, the is the graphic violence, then maybe don't worry about it. There's you know, there are instances of that. You can watch those early '70s movies and see those instances of violence that Fulci uh, injected in the movies, or that were just natural outgrowths of the stories that were being told, and see where mm-hmm. that grew into those horror movies later on. But if you're actually watching those Fulci movies and wonder what it would be like if he had a script that he he mm. adhered to because he had to <laughs> to tell a coherent narrative, um, back up and see things like uh, One on Top of the Other, or Don't Torture a Duckling, or mm. half a dozen other really great little movies that um, might be to your taste as well. So I guess with that out of the way, uh, I don't think we have anything else specific to talk about. Uh, we might want to, I mean, we could take a second before we, before we take a break, let's take a moment to, to, to pimp out. Troy and I did recently, and you may have already heard about this because Lord knows we've been talking about it. <laughs> uh, we did recently uh, do this commentary track for some film by Paul Nashi called, uh, what was it? Oh yeah. Inquisition. What? It's true. Uh, Mondo Macabro is set to release Paul Nashi's directorial debut film, Inquisition on Blu-ray. And, uh, there'll be a number of extras, including a neat interview with uh, female lead, Daniela Giordano. And I think I pronounced her name correctly this time. God save Probably about as well as we pronounce it in the audio commentary. Oh, <laughs> I cannot wait to hear how badly I yes. pronounce every name. <laughs> 
coming at me in high definition. Anyway, uh, so uh, that that's going to be on there. Our commentary track will be on there. If you if you don't listen to commentary tracks, I understand. But if you've never seen Inquisition, it's an excellent, yes. excellent Paul yes. Nashie worth film. Worth checking out for sure. And well worth seeing. So that's coming out here, I think, in June. For the, I think the regular release is in June. The limited edition is already sold out. And we we, we credit ourselves with that, uh, with, <laughs> with, with that having sold out. We take full, Rod and I take full credit for that. Of course, of course, because who else would want to buy that film if we were not involved? Yeah, of course, of course I, personally, I, bought, I, I bought a dozen <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah. I think there were 666 available, and you and I, between us, I bought about, about 30 or 40 each. Yeah, 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 so. right, right. <laughs> so, uh, if you are interested in listening to Troy and I talk about Paul Nashi and uh, we just aren't producing enough Nashi casts for your your listening needs, here you go. Yep. Go buy Inquisition right. from Mondo Macabro. Available at every retailer that sells Blu-rays as far <laughs> as I can tell. So I tell you what, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we will dive into the, um, uh, let's just call it description of the narrative that rolls around in front of you for an hour and 27 minutes called The Beyond. Yes, Captain. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show? Oh, we'll do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Trudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything yeah, that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did be a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. 
We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. Eliza, aren't you? Yes. My name is Emily. I've been looking for you. Go back to where you came from and hurry. Leave this place. Sixty years ago, everybody in this hotel disappeared. Every last person. A painter called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. accidents. You think you'll um, give it up now? I couldn't do that if I wanted to. Well, I won't give in. Nobody here. I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. Oh, some weird story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads.
to him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. The Beyond, directed by Lucio Fulci, 1981 Italian horror film. I love this batshit crazy film. It's awesome. Now, this is set and mostly filmed. All the exteriors were filmed in Louisiana. So keep in mind that this was filmed in um, real places for the most part. Once you're uh, once you're in, once you're in sets, once you're in the interior um, of of the movie, you're definitely on sets and you're back in Rome. Boy, are you back in Rome? We'll talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> but this is a movie set in Louisiana and actually filmed there, and they really took their time to let you see that because the, yeah. that, the, the kind of funky, sweaty, yeah. moss-covered feel of Louisiana really plays a big part in creating the atmosphere of this movie. And I think that's one of the best things about it because they mm-hmm. you use that as a, an integral part mm-hmm. of creating atmosphere and tension and dread because it feels like a real place. It feels like you're in a dangerous spot and it feels like something that you can relate to whether or not you've ever been there or not because mm-hmm. it's such a, a palpably real place mm-hmm. that it just makes everything else more realistic. Even when it goes batshit crazy and you can see the special effects because you're watching in high definition now, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it still really st- feels like an actual place. And I think that's fascinating. All right, let's talk about the plot of this crazy-ass movie. In Louisiana's Seven Doors Hotel in 1927, a lynch mob murders an artist named Schweik. Am I mispronouncing his it, name already? I don't know, but it always sounds to me like a sound effect. It sounds to me like, a, <laughs> like, like how would that sound like if you had somebody slapped you across the face of the blunt end of a sword well, or something? Oddly enough, that's the just, sound that it made when it was done. <laughs> he was, yeah. it was, when he was, being, when he was yeah. being hit by a chain, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, Schweik. Yeah, that's what, if it's a comic book version of this, that would be the this sound. It's a gorgeous opening, too. It's, it's, in a, it's a nice, yeah, I like the tint it's a of nice, the, nice sepia tone, yep. mm. and it's very quiet, and it's, mm. and it's very well painted with light. It's, just, mm. just, it's a gorgeous opening. Yeah. It, it's really well done. The uh, well, the reason they're murdering this guy is they believe that he is a warlock. The thing is, the the problem comes that by murdering him, they've kind of opened one of the seven doors to hell, mm-hmm. which allows the dead to cross into the world of the living. Let's go ahead and say right off the bat, I love the fact that they call the hotel the Seven Doors. The Seven Doors Hotel. No, I mean, why not just go all the way and call it the Seven Doors of Death Hotel? You know, just that's your way to increase your increase your uh, traffic through there. But I just love the fact that it acknowledges it. Hey, well, it is one of the weird circular logic po- portions of uh-huh. the, the uh, things that happen in this movie, which yeah. is that the whole movie is a big circle. But yeah, there's a yes, circular logic to a. Why would it be named that? Yeah. <laughs> and if it were named that, wouldn't somebody know it? And if somebody knew that, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't they go, hey, best not to kill that guy here because it might have terrible consequences. Because if they thought he was a warlock, wouldn't that mean that they believe in mysticism yeah. or magic yeah. or right. some kind of right. horrible demonic possession? Anything, something that would lead them to believe, you know, maybe we take him somewhere else and drown him. Maybe we do something, but not. Right we got, we got the swamp right out front. We can just toss them right in. <laughs> anyway, apparently, even though it opens that door to hell, nothing happens for like 40 years. Yeah, yeah, it was just that, and it was all quiet. It was all, all, <laughs> all quiet on the Louisiana front. I guess maybe the, the demons and, and evil spirits went out for coffee, or maybe they were just getting drunk down, down, in, the, down in New Orleans. I don't have it a clue. Ah, but several, days, several decades later, Lisa... A young woman from New York inherits the hotel and plans to reopen it. 
Her renovation work activates the hell portal, <laughs> and she contends with increasingly strange incidents. What so, does the hell portal sound like? Hell portal. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like someone writing a check to fund a film. That's what it sounds, that is what it sounds like. But it's amazing that house looks so good after 60 years. No one, no one was in it? Well, now see, that's just it. Do we know for sure that someone wasn't living? The movie's well, kind of must have been sketchy. Because she, I mean, yeah, she said she inherited just inherited it from, it from well, somebody who died true. there. Somebody was living there. That's true. That, and, we never really found out anything. And two characters, Martha and Arthur, who come, apparently come with the hotel. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> came with the hotel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they're servants or they're people who worked in the hotel. And so uh, I assume. <laughs> that something was going but, on. But the hotel was that. See, know, that how key, were they see able that, to get That keyword assume is is one that really uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be saying that a lot in this. Uh, you, this applies a lot to this. <laughs> oh, and I love the phrase "increasingly strange incidents." Whole shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a plumber named Joe investigates flooding in the cellar. And a demonic hand gouges out his eye. Eye violence. <laughs> yeah. We, we, By the way, we should have a little bell ring, a warning, like flat, you know, and that sort of bell warning. We are, we have, we're about to have eye violence. <laughs> Was it? Did, did we? Did we do a, like Joe Bob Briggs count of the number of eyes that get poked out in this movie? Because I'm pretty sure it's like 307. I, I, that's a round number. Yeah. It's an estimate. But oh my god. Anyway. His body, Joe the Plumber's body. And by the way, if I never hear the word Joe the Plumber Joe the ever plumber. again, I'll be happy, some bitch. His body and another are later discovered by a hotel maid, Martha. That's one of the uh, the two people who are, apparently, they just live there. They may have been born there. Who, who knows? knows? Lisa encounters and a... See, I'm, I'm calling her Liza. We're going to call Liza. her Liza. Oh, it, it is Liza's Liza. Liza, you're right. I think. You're right. To, it is Liza. calling her M- M- Minnelli. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we might as well. We might as well. Might as well call her Miss McCall. So. I know. Well, that's true. Yep, yep. Well, uh, Liza encounters a blind woman named Emily, who warns that the that reopening the hotel would be a mistake, which we've already doped out. Thank <laughs> I was about you. To say, they didn't even mention the the friggin'. <laughs> Uh, of, of guy on the ladder, the Larry the painter or whatever, and all that like fall and like falls and dies. And, yeah, yeah. But of course, we already saw Emily early on. Yeah, that's right. We've seen her in the very opening. Yep, that's yeah. right. Now that's something that the, 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 this rather uh, poorly poorly written uh, mm-hmm. synopsis is not really getting across in this very strangely mm-hmm. <laughs> plotted film, which is that Liza does. I mean, not Liza. I'm sorry, but you're right. Emily does appear in that uh, opening in, in 1927. So as soon as she reappears and now is suddenly blind. And hasn't aged today, though. So. It hasn't aged today. Something we know, we know, we know something's definitely uh, wrong. Uh, but we also know that uh, one of the things that that sepia tone prelude shows us is her uh, paying quite a bit of attention to a book called The Book of Ebon, which is a, a kind of a reoccurring thing in these Lucio Fulci uh, horror films. It turns up in City of the Living Dead. Kind of his version, well, or maybe the scriptwriter uh, Dardando Cercetti's version of the Necronomicon. In a well, way. well, the actual book of, of Avon does actually appear in a few Lovecraft stories, uh, so it actually oh, is okay. taken and it, and it also. It, although it's attributed to Clark Ashton Smith, uh, it would st- I think it's, he actually used it first, but Fulci then, I mean, excuse me, <laughs> Lovecraft, <laughs> Lovecraft used it in his stories, actually. Um, so, and then. And then I've always one thing I've always said about The Beyond is I, I consider it one of the best Lovecraft films, not based on Lovecraft. <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's good. Um, it certainly yeah. does have a very Lovecraftian feel, mm-hmm. and, and and I think that it well it doesn't hang together as well as most Lovecraft no, stories no. do, but it is 
at times well, as oblique and, as Lovecraft and, could be. And even just a basic, you know, basic, basic idea of someone inheriting a place and, and, and coming into it and discovering little horrors to begin with and then it escalating into something that's world shattering. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the right. That's Lovecraft all the way. Right there, I agree. So. I agree. Well, um, so, uh, but it is book of Avon, not Avon. So you know, so if, the, if, the, if, the, if the Avon lady calls, it's okay. But if the Avon we, lady we, calls, it is yes, not a good thing. It's E I B O N. Yes, yes, yes. And, and if she does call, you know, there's a good chance you've already lost a relative. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Yeah, yeah. fine point. To eye violence, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Eye infection. Well, Joe's wife, Marianne, and and their daughter Jill arrive at the hospital morgue to claim Joe's corpse. Jill. Then, after waiting for her mother inside, uh, her the, the the wife and mother is preparing the body for his funeral, which I think is a little odd. Don't you, don't you think more? Very tish, odd. Don't you think morticians are the people who should be doing? You know, that? I could see that happening. What I thought is, I thought this seems like a very old world, small like village, small village somewhere else, but it's not necessarily something I would think it would happen in an American city, you know, but in a yeah. way it's kind of a neat little touch, but it seemed, that's what it seemed to me, yeah, is like, you, I could see this right. happen, this seems like a... Out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, in, kind of, in, in yeah. Spain somewhere, yeah, or, but, but, or yeah. Italy, yeah. But, but you're right, it would certainly not something you would think would happen in, in a Louisiana. modern American city, yeah. kind of, you know, that a woman would be allowed into the morgue to just, you know, prepare her own... Husband's body, and she just walks right in. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, right next to, she walks right in the in the door to the morgue, right next to the sign that says "Do no in, do no do no entry." <laughs> do, do no, no entry. entry. <laughs> which which can be which can be you know you which can tell you, you can tells see that you. many different ways. Honestly, no, yeah. no, no, I can only see it one way, and this is the one way I see it. Mm-hmm. We are on a set, and we're now in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> English is a second or possibly third language to every single person involved. in in creating this this set. <laughs> By the way, do no entry mm-hmm. is a sign variation. That phrase is one that I've seen in multiple Italian exploitation yeah, films in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's as if whatever there, whatever the the translation mm-hmm. between Italian to English for do not enter. Mm-hmm. Just somehow the, the languages don't mesh up properly, and that's just what happened. Which, oddly enough, was the original title for the hotel, Do Not Entry. Do Not Entry. No, it's Do No Entry. Do, do no, no Entry. entry. Do of, no the, of the seven doors. Or Do Not Entry, or do, I, I can't even remember which it is now, but I've seen both in Italian movies. Well, Jill, the poor little girl, goes into the morgue and finds her mother lying on the floor unconscious, and inexplicably her face has been burned by acid, which is... One, I would say it's the first of many nonsensical WTF I, moments in yeah, the movie. I, but honestly, we probably walked past a couple. Well, we WTF have. I mean, it's what I'm going to say. We're going to have to do it. There's so many places where we'd never get through the synopsis if we were going to interrupt you every time. Yeah. So like, oh, yeah. by the way, speaking of that, speaking, <laughs> speaking of that batch of moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll go. We'll we'll go back and cover them there. So yeah. yeah. Well, Lisa or Liza, pardon mm-hmm. me. Uh, meets with Dr. John McCabe mm-hmm. and receives a phone call. Well, Dr. John McCabe is, of course, played by the fantastic David Warbeck. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, uh, so Liza receives a phone call informing her of Marianne's death after the funerals, because now we have, no, we're just like, we have both, both you know, wife and husband dead mm-hmm. and, and now an orphan and child. All uh, this happens like over two days, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After the funerals, Liza encounters Emily at the hotel. Uh, Emily tells Liza the story of Schweik <laughs> and warns her to not enter room 36. And, of course, we've already been creeped out by room 36 because for no good reason whatsoever, the bell keeps going off in that, t- in that mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. By the way, could there have been 36 rooms in that house? 
I find that a little hard to believe. Well, if twenty of them were underground, maybe you know, maybe twenty of them are maybe twenty of them are under that water, under that water in the friggin' basement. Fair point. (laughs) When Emily examined Schweik's painting, and this is the painting that he was working on when Mm. he was so rudely interrupted and crucified and had his eyes gouged out. Uh, she begins to bleed. Emily begins to bleed, and she flees the hotel along with her seeing eye dog, Dicky, 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 Dicky the Dicky the seeing eye dog. There's a there's a history of, of strangely named German shepherds in Italian horror. <sighs> they really are. For some reason, they just yeah. don't. Yeah, can't get those get those dog those animal names quite it's, right. It's odd. <laughs> Well, Liza ignores Emily's advice, or we would have no movie. That's right. <laughs> and investigates room thirty six. She discovers an ancient book titled Ebon. Of course, this is the second time we've seen it. Right. She sees Schweik's corpse nailed to the bathroom wall. She flees the room in terror, but is stopped. Or does she? Or does she? Sorry, continue. Oh, oh, sorry. But is stopped by Dr. John, uh, not the musician. (laughs) Although he would have fit in perfectly. He would have fit in perfectly. We're in Louisiana. That's right. Uh, She takes him to room 36, but both the corpse and the book are now gone. Liza describes her fearful encounters with Emily, but John insists that Emily is not real. While in town, Liza spots a copy a copy of Ebon in the window of a bookstore, but when she rushes in to grab it, a different book is in its place. With the most cheerful uh, bookseller, or no, the most <laughs> self-amused bookseller ever. And now the, the nonsense giggling. Reading. I know. I don't know what he's uh, giggling about. There is no telling. <laughs> the shop owner says the book has been there for years, prompting Liza to remark to John that perhaps it is all in her head. At the hotel, a worker named Arthur attempts to repair the same leak in the basement as Joe, but is killed off-screen by some random ghouls, as far as we can tell. Now, Liza's friend Martin, the guy who's been helping her uh, get the hotel set set up, and and is uh, he seems to be some kind of, uh, if not amateur, possibly semi-professional architect, and he has all these ideas about how they could renovate the place. And her main complaint seems to be, whatever we do, <laughs> it can't mm. cost any money because I don't have any money right now. Mm. Well, he visits the public library to find the hotel's original blueprints. Uh, apparently, this is a bad idea mm-hmm. because he is struck by a sudden force mm-hmm. that looks like a lightning strike. It's really odd. Yeah, it is. It is. And he falls from a ladder in the library, resulting in some kind of odd paralysis. Mm-hmm. Spiders then appear out of nowhere, climb over his body while he mm-hmm. is still conscious and can't move. And ravage his face, eventually killing him. This is honestly one of the greatest parts of this entire film. <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> extraordinarily bizarre, oh. weird, laughable, yes. enjoyable. It's just got everything in there. And then by the time it's done, it's just sort of like, what? What, what did I just see? Can I back that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's madness itself. It, it was. Is. I think the first time I saw this movie. Uh, I'm not going to say whether or not there was alcohol involved, but there mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> I will never admit to it, but mm-hmm. yes, it's true. And then there was this point right about the spider sequence, because I had heard about the spider sequence before I ever saw it. Mm-hmm. And so the thing I'd always heard was that there are these ridiculous fake spiders. And so I'm watching it, and I'm going, okay, ridiculous fake spiders. Those are all real fucking spiders. Oh, 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 that's that looked like a that look that was fake. But then that's a fake nose being ripped in half by a fake spider. Yeah, yeah. and you're not going to be able to train a spider to do that. So, well, you know, they just naturally go for the tongue and the eyeballs. They just pull. They always try to pull your tongue out. You know, in the eyeballs. Little known fact: ostriches 
always go for the balls. <laughs> now, it it's been, a little known fact that no, it just I made I would have loved it if a bunch of ostriches had come out of nowhere to and started pecking him. <laughs> well, that was that was if the spiders didn't work out. Yeah, that's right. Fult, that was Fulch's yeah, yeah. next idea was we're going to bring in the ostriches. Penguins actually were penguins. number two. We're going to bring yeah. in the yeah. penguins. That's why, that's why, that's why ostriches won't attack human females. It's just like, yeah. it's, they look for yeah. the husband at all times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no, no. All of but, that, but all no, that is, right. that this is scene is incredibly brilliantly filmed because the way they interact, the, the way they intermingle the real spiders with the fake ones. Yes. Uh, sometimes you'll have a couple of real spiders up in the foreground and blurry in the background right. will be the fake ones, but they, you know, but they will, but they look well enough that and they won't show them very long. They're very quick cuts. And yes. so you don't have very, you know, you got to be looking for them. So it's actually a very practical and, and inventive way to do this scene, you know. So, the, and, and this scene only fails for the most part recently because of the high definition sure, yeah. Blu-ray that, course, that we're yeah. looking at. Right. Now on, on 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, you know, you're not mm. instantly going, oh, well, that's, that's obviously a fake spider. You, but in high definition, where it really falls down for me, yeah. not really the, the fake spiders. It's when it's, they, it's when they start digging into that, to the fake face. Yeah. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. where I think that, where I think the effects really yeah, fall right. down because it, it, it doesn't, the, there's a lot of really good and mm-hmm. interesting special effects of <laughs> not just eye violence, yeah. but just all kinds of different oh, violence. Yeah. So the, yeah. in the, in the opening sequence and the sepia tone sequence that takes place in 1927 at the beginning, those moments that are those incredibly shocking first moments of violence when that, when the, when the, the guy, the painter is, is swiped by the, by the chains mm-hmm. and it gouges his flesh. Mm-hmm. Those are shocking and very effective special effects. Oh, yeah. And there are a number of things like that scattered throughout the movie where they're unexpected. If you've never seen this movie before, there are moments of violence that are shocking because they're unexpected, but they're also shocking because they look frighteningly realistic. And those opening (laughs) swipes at flesh with a chain Mm -hmm. kind of set the bar for you not being able to trust that this movie is going to be something you can laugh at with its violence. This movie is going is going to kind of shove your face into a lot of violence, and there's some places where it falls down, and it may have fallen mm-hmm. down on initial release. It may have fallen down <clears throat> the minute <throat> you were seeing it on, on the big yeah. screen, even in a cut form in the early mm-hmm. '80s. Who the right. hell knows? I wasn't there. I'm not sure. But one of the one of the areas where it falls down, unfortunately, and I don't think it's necessarily just the high def that brings this out, but boy, does the high def really show you that these spiders digging into this guy's face mm-hmm. is just as yeah. fake as hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it will only hurt <coughs> the audience who has not seen it yet. Probably the, so. Or, I'm sorry, their, their first viewing of this is just like, what the hell is this going on yeah. right here? Yeah. This, this is obviously fake right here. Um, but, I, I, but for us, you know, of course we love it. But I saw him. There. Nailed to the wall. He... See those nails? Well, they certainly look old. But this looks more like rust than blood. That seems so impossible. So absurd. And yet, I don't know. Now look, come and tell me exactly what you saw. Hmm? No, never mind. It's useless. 
guess I must just have a pretty wild imagination. Hmm. I got carried away by that story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads. Hmm. There's no blind girl living there, and I know everyone around here. Well, back in the hotel, Martha is cleaning the bathroom in room 36, which is a bad idea, <laughs> when Joe's animated corpse emerges from the bathtub. But we already know that his corpse has been buried. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Joe pushes her head into an exposed nail, killing her and destroying one of her eyes. <laughs> More eye violence, Yes, he is. The walking corpses of Schweik, Joe, Marianne, that would be Joe's wife, Martin and Arthur now invade Emily's house. She pleads with them to leave her alone and insists that she will not return with Schweik. Return to where? Hell, we assume. <laughs> she commands her guide dog, Dickie, to attack the corpses, but the dog turns on Emily, tearing out her throat. And if you think you, if that makes you think, oh, I've seen this movie before, it might not necessarily be true. You might be thinking of another film, <laughs> another very popular Euro horror film that that exact same. In scene. which a dog rips out uh, its owner's uh, owner's throat. A, a yeah. see, a, as a matter of fact, a seeing eye dog. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, a, a shepherd that had a weird name. I think I don't remember what his name uh, yeah, is. But, yeah, that's another German shepherd seeing eye <laughs> dog. Yeah, in an Italian-made thriller. That's really. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Could it be... Nope. Oh, it's not? Nope. Shit. No, no. Uh, Monster right. Dog. Monster Dog, that's it. It's not Monster Dog. It, it is not Monster Dog. Red Tin Tin? Early years. The early years. Wonton Ton. At the hotel, spirits terrorize Liza. John breaks into Emily's house, which appears to have been abandoned for years, and finds the Book of Ebon. He returns to the hotel and tells Liza that the hotel is a gateway to hell which we have figured out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They flee to the hospital, but it has been overrun by zombies for some reason. Liza is attacked, but John gets a gun out of his desk and shoots the shambling corpses. And it's a magic gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a John Woo gun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Only Harris and Jill are found still alive. Uh, Harris is another doctor in the hospital, by the way. Uh, but Harris is killed by flying shards of glass... And Jill, having shown signs of possession since the funeral, poor little girl, shown signs of possession, yeah, the milk-white eyeballs of the dead people. <laughs> that nobody noticed for like two days. I know. I know. Yeah. Plus, her parents died, and she's at that funeral with no guardian whatsoever. <laughs> Everybody just kind of pats her on the head and walks off. Walks and just like, yeah, you know, catch you later, Sorry Jill. for all that. That's yeah. too bad. <laughs> yeah. Would you like a lollipop? <laughs> well, Jill, poor, poor, poor little girl, finally attacks Liza, and John is forced to kill the little girl. Mm-hmm. Escaping the zombies. And he don't hesitate either. That's awesome. Oh, no, no, he, he just like you know. All this time they're like, "Well, <laughs> save the little save Jill quick, too." I know they're like, "Jill, come with us, and we'll save you." And all, but boy, the minute uh, minute he catches sight of her, there's no hesitation whatsoever. It's like, <laughs> caps well, that, caps that little gal. <laughs> she's dead. Yeah. Well, escaping the zombies, John and Liza rush down a set of stairs, but find themselves for no reason whatsoever that we can dope out back in the basement of the hotel. But they move forward through the flooded labyrinth and stumble into a supernatural wasteland of dust and corpses. No matter which direction they travel, they find themselves back at their starting point. They are ultimately blinded, just like Emily, and succumb to the darkness and disappear. And we realize all along they've been in the painting. 
or they. Well, are I thought, I thought you said we we, we you you were, we realized all along that this is actually a romantic, romantic comedy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just part one. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Now we get to the meat of the story. No, um, <laughs> this movie is a large circle. We're told at the we're, we're told the uh, at the beginning. Uh, through show, being shown the painting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that this is where we're going to end up. We don't know it until we reach that ending, but by the time you get to the ending and you realize that these people have stepped into a life-size reproduction of the painting that Schweik was was uh, working on at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. we've reached a certain... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A certain um, lack of concern for what the hell happens next? No. The narrative takes you down this path and leads you to, let's admit it, some completely crazy spots. Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, there, you, we, we could sit here and talk about what the, what the, uh, the straight line story mm. through mm. the storyline mm. of the film is. And it's horrible act mm. takes place in a cursed location. Mm. Years later, accident occurs. A man dies accidentally. Mm. And which causes, is almost like a domino effect, right? Right. right mm-hmm. Which causes mm-hmm. this curse to be activated in the mo- quote unquote modern day, right? And these cascading horrible events pile on top of one another. But the movie, well, until we get to the end, and you realize that the, the this gate of hell being opened has kind of sucked all of the people who are in this hotel or have been in this area mm-hmm. into what appears to be hell a very strange hell mm-hmm. yeah because where's there's no fire yeah but at different points in the movie it looks more like a limbo land obviously I know. like you know yeah. just more than more necessarily than what you'd put your hell in the yeah that's, and that's what I was thinking of uh, as an as in a hell for this hotel mm-hmm. almost like everyone who stayed in the hotel. This is where they're sort they, of trapped in this world yeah. of this guy's painting, yeah, exactly. thing, which may not necessarily be hell, yeah, but just right. as actually a. So, in other words, instead of hell, it is like a limbo another, state, another dim- and I, 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 the beyond, another, quote unquote, yeah, the, the beyond. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In other words, not hell, but yeah. some in between state. Yeah, that's kind of what. Yeah, is this some kind of bizarre mm-hmm. Catholic limbo thing? Some mm-hmm. kind of some kind of uh, other world between heaven, hell, and the real world? Is that what they're aiming for, or are we just trying to wrap our brains around a movie that doesn't ultimately well, make a lot of logical sense. Right, but um, I bet the first time I, I saw the first time I saw this movie, I was absolutely just stunned in a in a in a very enjoyable way by that ending of the film. I mean I just oh, yeah, thought sure. it was just brilliant, you know, it's because well and, I mean the minute the minute they come I think you can only just sort of gasp, you know, the first time you see it, the minute they're in the hospital and they come down that they go down the stairs and suddenly they're back in her basement. I think you're just, yeah. what in the world is, you know, that's just an amazing moment. And, mm-hmm. and then that oh, whole yeah. last scene where you realize where they're at. Um, and, and in a way it, it is, it is kind of a, um, uh, they're sort of covering their asses in a way. The people telling the story because, <laughs> it, because literally now you can say, and it does, it just sort of does make the whole rest of the film Makes sense in a way if you want to look at it that way. It's like yeah. well, everything's excused because this whole time it's just been yeah everything's excused. They, exactly. That's excused that's their the ultimate yeah. out is because yeah. Right. nothing nothing really has fallen together in a logical right. way. I mean, right. this is a right. let's be honest. The movie's an hour and twenty seven minutes yeah. of illogical things it strung is. together in a narrative that only barely contains the the set pieces in a, in a way that keeps you believing anything is happening that relates to anything else. But that's part of the joy of that ending is that mm. 
you have to give up on it then. You have yeah, to say, yeah. oh, either they're geniuses mm-hmm. or right. to hell with all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but yeah. also, if you have a film that you're not too confident, <coughs> confident with, and I'm not saying that's what this is, but but if you have put a slap on a weird, bizarre ending, mm-hmm. oh, it's artsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, and of course, and if you can just wrap it around to, to its very beginning, it's it. That's an artsy film, almost like almost like they filmed that opening much much later on, like a year later or something like that. You know, just throwing that out there. You know. Well, here here's here's a question I've always I always have about these movies, which is I have a lot of respect for the guy who wrote. Um, this the, this film who's oh, Dardando Sarchetti about Sarchetti what a, I mean <laughs> an amazing an, an amazing guy who always yeah. came up with very intriguing stories and very odd ideas but there's always a part of me who wants to really yeah. really ask him well, I always wanted to really ask him the question did everything get filmed yeah sure in other words <clears throat> I don't know that you as a as a as a screenwriter ever sit down and create a movie in your head that has as few pieces of connective tissue between the various yeah. plot points that you know have to be there that some of these movies have. Oh, well, I definitely think this film has some things that regardless of, of, of how it all, the story ultimately turns out, I, there are some things that I think were changed, you know, where it changed horses in some midstreams there, you know, where where times where I mm-hmm. think like some things that don't, I think we're set up that don't play out. You know, that I think are just a little clumsy. You know, that I think yeah. are parts that that did uh, that uh, um, uh, that didn't quite quite add up, regardless of how you look at it. You know, I mean, talking about it from a script writing standpoint, that I imagine were changed along the way during the course of the filming. Uh, something I mentioned early on, almost uh, quite a bit of this ends up being like like a two day period. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's it's like how could all these things happen in just a forty eight hour turn? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, but uh, yeah, I th- there's so much in this film. It's, mm. it's jam packed with excitement. I, yes, and what you said—that's uh, right. That's one thing. Watching this film, every time I see it, I'm always just kind of struck by how uh, almost every scene something significant happens, and not necessarily something mm-hmm. horrific, well, but well, the, just but if the nothing pace else, is something to build. Oh, it is. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, well, just like you mentioned, it's an hour and twenty-seven minutes, but it's yeah, and it never. Mm. It, there's there's not a dead <clears throat> spot in the movie. Mm. There's even even the scenes that build atmosphere. Mm feel as if mm-hmm. they're over so quickly that mm-hmm. you're on to the next scene. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that are, for, for instance, there's a, what people come away remembering are always going to be those violent set pieces, the really grotesque yeah, and sure. gory sequences. Mm-hmm. But there's just as much time spent on screen set, setting up the locations, giving mm-hmm. you atmosphere, letting the letting the the sense of this place kind of sink into mm-hmm. everything the the attention to detail in the sound design. You talk about the the sound of water and water dripping in that in that mostly flooded uh, basement underneath the hotel. And I guess I got to laugh when when you know she sends Joe the plumber down there to figure, find you know to find where you know to fix this leak and he goes down and it's it's a friggin' river down there. You know? <laughs> it's like, Jesus I'm thinking like I would have taken one look at this thing. Is is like yeah, I think she says I hope it's not too serious. It's like man, the whole it's, fucking it's, it's, no, you know, it's like, water, there's, there's, there's a yacht going by yeah. here down underneath you. You know, I mean, it's just it's just amazing what to, how much. I mean, that, I love that basement set. is incredible though. Oh yeah, I mean, it's yes. just what an incredible other mm-hmm. other world even before you discover it's another world it still feels like one down there you know it's just uh, I, I have to say a phrase right here and we'll talk about her her more Catriona uh, uh, McCall who I just love um, who plays Liza yeah who I had a major major crush on for years when I was first seeing these, these I, can't, I cannot imagine can't imagine, imagine why <laughs> but in her introduction on this DVD she has a, a phrase here that I just that she applies this film 
said she loves about it. She's a, she's a British actress, um, but she said uh, or English actress, however you should say that. But anyway, she says uh, it's she described. She's a damn limey. There okay. you go. She just yes. <laughs> she described it as the decadent macabre Italian poetry of, of the film, uh, and nice. I was like, that's a great phrase. Yeah. yeah, that really is, and that's that's an effective <clears throat> descriptor of everything that goes on in this movie. There is a there's a, a feeling that most of most of these uh, Fulci horror movies elicit that almost no one else has been able to replicate. There's some that come mm-hmm. close, and there's some that uh, that uh, you know come at come at and accomplish the same thing in slightly different ways. But this movie, and to a lesser degree, City of the Living Dead and mm-hmm. House by the Cemetery, concoct an atmosphere that I think you're right to reference Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. In its mm-hmm. kind of uh, primordial state, there's a mm-hmm. there's a, a starting point for this kind of stuff in the horror genre, and I do think that going back to Lovecraft is probably the place to go. Those mm-hmm. early uh, pulp fiction writers who are writing for weird stories and and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and think you know and conjuring up these uh, these vistas mm-hmm. of not just uh, other worlds that's that not just not mm-hmm. science fiction at, at all, but but a kind of odd combination of of horrific fantasy worlds that devolve into horrible horrible places and that might as well for any you know for 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 to to call it anything other than hell is just splitting hairs to a certain degree yeah, yeah. so there's a, a an atmosphere and a sense of dread and a sense of of horror that creeps into just the visuals alone and that's something that of course, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your your love of, of Lovecraft's fiction, uh, he's able to elicit that very easily through his yeah. his oh, yeah. amazing writing, and he's able to create this um, skin crawling mm-hmm. feeling of being in some place or experiencing something that you know is wrong. And Fulci, with this film, I think primarily, but with a couple of other films as well puts that on screen in a way that I don't think anybody before ever had. I agree. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I think that since then, people using this as a template have been able yeah. to kind of jump off from mm-hmm. it and go mm-hmm. and do their own thing. And I think that even some people who may or may not be influenced by this movie have have crafted something similar. If, they, if, they, if they're not using this as a reference, I don't know why they aren't. Mm-hmm. But... It's not necessarily. I tell you, somebody sorry to interrupt. Just somebody oh. I'd say right off uh, that tried to do it, and I think did a fairly visually anyway a fairly good job of it. Is uh, Dagon uh, Stuart Gordon's Dagon? I think okay. he captured a lot of that same feel with just the way that town is depicted. Uh, Innsmouth is depicted in that film because anyway. But go go ahead. I oh no, no, I just it, the 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 point I'm trying to get at is that I'm not sure what Fulci thought he was going to be adding to. The horror genre, the, mm-hmm. the horror movie genre, but he may have thought that primarily what he was going to be adding were, were those incredibly violent, visceral, grotesque mm-hmm. set pieces. But I think that would be selling him short because mm-hmm. he spends a lot of time in this movie building atmosphere and putting you in the position of having that tension build, having odd mm-hmm. bits of tension build. And then adding, and of course, a lot, a lot of this has to come from uh, uh, Dardando Sarchetti's script, which is the idea that, for instance, as you, you and I were talking earlier, Jeff, about um, that point when we, as the audience, are we, we know that Emily has either got to be a ghost or a mm-hmm. ghoul or something, mm-hmm. but she's come back and she's warning mm-hmm. Liza to not open this place. She's she's actually trying to warn her away from this and from doing it. 
which gives her an odd motivation. Why is she back? And then the scene right before the, you know, when she's being stalked by the uh, the the ghouls, the the zombies in her in her own house. The words that she says indicates that she has struck some kind of deal with some entity that we're unaware of, that we are never mm. privy to, that we don't see, that we never hear. She struck some kind of deal to come back here and to do what she was asked to do, which was to try to warn her off. The question is, why would this entity that we never know, we don't know the motivations yeah, of right. this entity, no, we don't no, know no, anything no. about it, was the entity trying to keep this from happening? Was the entity having her say and do what she did, knowing that by saying and doing what she did, she would cause these events to occur? Which was probably it. Which is probably it. Mm-hmm. But it gives this whole world of motivations for this character who we we know has to be dead. Because right. she looks exactly the same yeah. way she did in 1927. Mm-hmm. But it gives this whole world of motivations behind this character that we're not privy to. And it's just we just get a little bit of information there. And then mentally, and this is what good horror writing can do, which is just present you with that bit of information and your your imagination kind of springs into those empty spaces and allows you to think, you know, oh, I don't know exactly what it is, but mm. from what she's saying, clearly her motivation was to, what, escape from hell for a while? It's or those exciting little sparks of, of supernatural yeah. in this film that that's on a, on a, on like a second viewing... Mm-hmm. You really pick up on everything, and then yeah. there's there's some dialogue in particular with that scene in particular, yeah. which we, we talk about as when she said, oh, "Okay, I've I've done the deal. You know, I've said what I was supposed to say. I said what I'm supposed to what I was supposed to say. I don't want to go back. Don't take me back. You know, right. it's just like what what is she talking about? It, but it, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the I think uh, my impression I always got from that opening scene is that the painter is trying to. Stop something from happening. He's trying there. to. I think they say he's trying to seal up. He's trying that to. Doorway yeah, and they like and the that. villagers, you know, that that kill him, they screw that up. Right. You know, so so I feel like ultimately, you know, he's he's that's 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 kind of like what he's he's trying to do through Emily. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting, one of the really most <clears throat> interesting things I think, character wise, is the whole character of Liza. Uh, because, you know, one of the things they do, I think they try, you know, early on the audience is going to be like, girl, get out of there, you know, right? Because, she, I mean, when you get there, when you barely said hi and your painter falls to his death and then your plumber dies and a body, another body, horrible body floats up, you know. But, so at least they try... And, the old Eddie Murphy is like, too bad we can't stay, <laughs> Too bad we can't stay, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But they try and give her, they give her that one scene where she's talking to the doctor and they're in the they're oh, in that yeah, club they, listening to the music, right. which is another little, giving you the New Orleans feel there right. with the jazz. But which they're talking... Which is a good scene. Yeah. Well, she does at least basically lay out like, you know, that, that she... She doesn't have any... She, she can't, she's got nowhere to yeah. go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're trying... This is it. Yeah, she's, so she's tried all these other yeah. things and if she... She's just lucked into inheriting this place and she's got no money. She's got no place to go. This is it. If she doesn't make... She says flat out, if I don't make it go of this, then I'm done. Which honestly, it really is a great scene because it, that is as, a nice scene. Yeah, as an audience, you're what you're watching that. It's just like, okay, yeah, you're right. Because they, they really, at least she really doesn't have that. a big yeah. choice here. Yeah. So so just and and, uh, and bear, bear with her almost right. Yeah. And right. I, and I think, uh, but another thing with her character that I think is really interesting, and it's honestly something I never really thought on, picked up much on till I'd seen the film many times, is almost, towards the very end when the shit's really hitting the fan, and it's just about reaching the climax. There is the part where the doctor like can, kind of confronts her head on and says, "Who are you?" And it makes you think realize that maybe in some way, you know, Liza spent most of the film kind of running terrified from everything, yeah. but and she obviously doesn't know what's going on herself. But it does really kind of make the point that 
maybe she did really bring this with her. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe she really is the cause. And he's maybe starting to realize it, that she's brought out, you know, because we mentioned the fact yeah. that nothing has happened apparently in 40 years or whatever, you know, right. and since until she inherits this house, that maybe there's some that she's actually brought all this, made all this happen, which I think is kind of an interesting. That was a wonderful question that he said, who are you? Yeah, yeah, because it and, makes and, you and, ask that too exactly, as the audience, exactly, you know. Right. Because it seems an odd question for him to ask at that point, <clears> but you're right. It does point to the to the factual bit of information that we already have, which is the movie made sure to tell you mm-hmm. This bit at the beginning takes place in 1927. Right, right. And that door has remained closed until now. So mm-hmm. is she some inadvertent, accidental catalyst to all of these events? We know that she inherited it from a relative of hers. She's obviously related to the family that's possibly owned this hotel. You know, mm-hmm. is it possible that she is actually Emily? And so is she actually like... Okay, now, she, now you're getting to something. Is she a reincarnation? Is okay, she a reincarnation of Emily? Okay. I wanted to get to that because... So we're going to figure this movie out for you folks. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to figure it out, but I, I'm glad you got to because this yeah. is another point that I wanted to get to, which is right. that we've talked a lot uh, in different in different podcasts about how careful you can be and how careful most producers and casting directors are when you're, when you're making a movie about casting actors and actresses that are visually different looking so that you don't accidentally confuse right. your viewer. Right, okay? right, yeah. The idea is to cast people who, whether their hair color is incredibly different or their facial features are very different or their ethnicities are very different, whatever it may be, so that visually you automatically have a stamp of what that person is and therefore later on as the, as the, as the narrative progresses, you even if you haven't been given a lot of dialogue or time with those characters visually you can tell them apart. Catriona mm-hmm. McCall and the actress who plays Emily mm-hmm. look pretty similar. Yeah. Okay? Right. Now they don't have the same hair mm-hmm. and they have different eyes mm-hmm. even before even yeah, before, before <laughs> Emily's eyes, eyes are white, yeah. right? Before she acquired those contacts. <laughs> yes, right. Yes. <laughs> but, but before she visited visited Bauschenlaw, <laughs> but she has but they have the same bone structure. Mm. Their facial features are very similar, and there are a couple of shots in the movie, or there are a couple of scenes where we're editing back and forth between the two of them as they're having a conversation, where it becomes interesting to note that they're drawing a parallel. They're kind of mm-hmm. they're not they're not underlining it. No right, one's right. no one's getting in your face about it. Mm-hmm. But these two people do look alike, yeah. almost mm-hmm. as if they could be related. Yeah. yeah, that's and to add to that. Remember the first time they meet. And that's why I'm saying this this film escalates so much on a second and third viewing. Yeah. Uh, the first time they meet, of course, which is on a bridge. And that whole, the whole filming of that bridge, what an incredible, right, right. Yeah. great yeah. Uh, shot. It's a great, it's a great location. Yeah, yeah. and so, so basically uh, basically, she has to stop the car. Um, you know, uh, mm. Liza's you know, driving the car and she has, to, yeah, she has to stop. And all of a sudden, uh, Emily and, of course, the dog Dickie are just in the middle of the road. And there's and they, no way they could have gotten out there. Yeah, <laughs> right. really, it doesn't you know, make any like, sense. Right. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like uh, you, you've, you've, you've uh, hit a certain switch in particular. Okay, yeah. now this has to happen. Mm-hmm. Now this has to happen. And so it was exciting just for them to meet like that, which was, again, very bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. And it seems to me <laughs> that there are all these old ghost stories about meeting a ghost on a bridge. Yeah, that's okay? right. A good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are all these old ghost stories that center around seeing these ethereal you know, spirits, these, these creatures who aren't necessarily evil, or aren't necessarily uh, malicious in any way. They exist in a state that they can only that that allows them to only appear to people 
for some reason mm. on a bridge or in a, in a place that's elevated, something mm. that mm. isn't necessarily of the earth. Mm. And I think it's interesting that, yeah, you're right. One of the first things that, one of the first questions, it's, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a WTF moment in the film, mm. of course, where one of the first questions that should have been asked by Liza is, how the fuck did you get out here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why are you standing in the right in the middle of the road? Because well, because the scene is shot so mm. that you're aware mm. that she's been driving, because this is one of those long, long bridges, mm. kind of elevated roads with no shoulders, there's no access to this to this point, uh, other than by car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're given enough information mm. to know that she's been on this road for a long enough time <laughs> yeah, yeah. that to have walked here <laughs> would have taken you a good long while and would have been incredibly dangerous. You would have, yeah. al- you would have already been run over. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Multiple times, yeah. So the, that's another one of those moments in the film where you kind of have to give it that, or it, it's possible even mm. to just kind of skip over it, especially on your first first viewing and possibly even future viewings yeah. where you don't make that connection that that's a question that should have been asked right there by any rational character in a rational story which is how the hell did you get out here mm-hmm. why how how did this happen mm-hmm. did did someone you know <laughs> because my thought my thought initially is did she get dumped out of here? Did someone like? <laughs> did she piss somebody off and they get? Put, she get put out of the car? Did she or? just ride the bus and they were like, "Sure, blind lady, we're just gonna let you out here if you want. That's what you want. We're gonna let you out here in the middle of you know, okay, it's your dime, you know." So it's, it's you know. Well, and, and of course, the the, the indicators early on that this woman's a ghost. That's your first one, right? Right, sure. But another is the idea that the house she lives in. Mm-hmm. is near the crossroads mm-hmm. which is another you know nice I mean you don't have to know a whole lot about the blues <laughs> to know that that's an indicator of uh-huh. some kind of ghostly presence right uh-huh. and it's and it's very keeping with the New Orleans feel music uh, new music of New Orleans kind of heritage there so of course of course there, there could also be that uh, well throughout the whole entire film basically is she seeing this is she making this up is mm-hmm. yeah. is, is it just a ghost to uh, right because nobody to, else to ever, nobody else ever interacts with Emily right. besides besides the spirits that come to the, the zombies that come to visit her and and Liza you know yeah the ones and, and it would actually... be interesting if even they did a little flashback uh, flashback uh, of Liza thinking to herself am I imagining this whole thing and, <laughs> yeah. and you could see her driving in the car and she stops the car and she walks out and she's talking to no one yeah and then she goes to this house that uh, that Emily lives at yeah, well, it supposedly. also might have been. And it would have been very interesting to, at one point, if that's true, and you're, and like I say, we're already aware that they've cast two actresses mm. that look pretty similar to each other. Mm. And if it turns out that <laughs> she's yeah. she's essentially a she's essentially Tyler Durden. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, she's created. Yeah, right. That, that would have added a. Should have had her smacking her punch herself. <laughs> that would have added a very interesting mm. uh, layer to mm. things. Flashback mm. humor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, that would have been an interesting layer to add into this. They don't go that route. No. And I think that may have been a little too meta for the time. It could be, mm-hmm. but it, because I think what it what they really were driving at is just that this woman is a ghost mm-hmm. put here mm-hmm. who struck some deal to get mm-hmm. out of limbo to get mm-hmm. out of the beyond to yeah to get out of that painting yeah. to do one thing and, and she's been offered some bargain some deal and she's attempting to fulfill it and with the promise of not having to go back without right. without having to go back to this place. Mm-hmm. Well, now to bring up something that I do have a problem with character-wise that I think is probably one of the biggest, I guess, missteps or flaws are... Uh, let's talk about the, um, the, the sort of trio of 
Arthur, Martha, and Joe the plumber. <laughs> there, that basically, especially with our, our now, try saying Arthur and Martha ten times fast. But I really think that, and I think this must have been something originally in the script that just kind of got let's drop that particular thread yeah. because. And this is not the only time in a Fulci film this has happened. Is you've got a character, <laughs> I, I, dro- two, I dropped a character, a character or two who is set up to be. Obviously, somebody important or sinister to the plot, and mm-hmm. then just kind of trails off into nothing. You know, it's it's a thing about. Let's talk about Arthur first. Um, by the way, he's I, until you know. I, I used to think that Joe Spinell was the in Maniac was the sweatiest <laughs> sweatiest on screen character yeah. ever. You know, but <laughs> the guy playing Arthur's, I think his sweat glands have sweat glands basically. <laughs> um, but. He and Martha, we we hear are like you know. She mentions they come with the house, and especially the actress playing Martha, and we've seen her before uh, in in, in yeah. Tenebra or Tenebra, however you want to say it. Um, she, Tenebra, Tenebra, whatever. Yeah, Tenebra, Tenebra. She's. <laughs> we'll come up with another two ways. To say. <laughs> I know there's a million ways you Tomorrow, can say. Tenebra. <laughs> her name is Veronica Lazar. Is the actress. And she's an attractive actress, but also very sinister looking. Mm, and, yeah. and she's very sinister in Tanabra, and, and for good reason, because she really is sinister in that. But in this one, they do a lot of things with her, especially when she, like, discovers uh, Joe's body, like her. And, we, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a common thing a lot of times in, in, in Euro horror films is sometimes characters' reactions aren't quite what they really should be because they're kind of concentrating more on... On the slow buildup and the reaction and, and letting you see all the horrors real up yeah. close and well, stuff. There's the also, character. we don't know what it's going to look like yet. Yeah. As yeah. In we haven't filmed that yet. Right. That's true, too. Well, that's and true. So yeah. You may be uh, right. Yeah. But her, which, like, which I kind of think yeah. this is what mm-hmm. happened here because she didn't have much of her. Uh, I know. And it would, but it all leads you kind of to, to think that, that, that there's going to be something more with her character and right. then she ends up just being another victim like anybody else, you know, and right. with Arthur. This is something that I think, and this is something I think I've noticed even more this time. Maybe it's the miracle of high definition here, the Blu-ray. But Arthur, we see him go down into the basement to work on something, to patching up the wall. Right. Then we have the scene with, because uh, I'm always, I was really trying to watch this time around. What happens with Arthur's character? Because I could never remember. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that's always I was like, okay, what? Where does his character finish up? And they, we have the scene with em, Emily with the zombies, you know, coming to Schweik, Schweik, and the other, you know, ghost slash zombies come to finish her off and the dog. And he's one of them. And he's one of them. But right. then later, and this is the part I always forget about, it just never sticks in my mind, but Liza is walking through the basement and, and Martha, I mean, excuse me, Arthur comes out of the water and he's not a zombie or anything. He just, right. but he's just under the water and he comes out and like grabs her, you know, and she manages to get away from him. But he can breathe underwater and he sounds like Peter Lorre. <laughs> and he sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> fair fair and point. And he sure never, he sure doesn't look like he looked in the scene, you know, with, 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 with Emily. Or, right. I mean, and he wasn't missing any limbs or anything. He didn't right. have any, you know. And, and so, I mean, if you, I mean, he had both of his eyes. Yeah. That's right. He had both of his eyes. But that's the last you ever see of him. And again, yeah. I just feel like those are, um, Dropped threads. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, one thing that they do that I think is kind of nice. The first time that that uh, Joe the plumber visits in there, and he, by the way, does for hairiness what uh, the guy playing Arthur does for sweat. But when when Liza brings him in, he obviously like the weird look between him and and Martha. Oh, Martha yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and, they have a history or well, they know something. I think well, what they're well, trying. She, she says that oh, I built this whole pathway for Joe. And yeah. there, was, there, was a, there was an actual pause there for, yeah. for Joe. Right. Yeah. And, and then, it, of course, the camera goes right to Joe. And it seems to be setting up either the fact that they know something that they're not sharing with Liza. Right. Or that Martha 
is setting Joe up for something, and he's a little suspicious. It's hard to what read What I it. got from it was that the two of them have had a thing together, because he's married, right? We find that later when his wife comes right. to dress him in his, you know, his, his body, right. you know, his wife comes. Mm-hmm. And so my thing was, I just thought all the time that they've had some kind of thing together at some point affair, or maybe they still are, or it's over, or there's something between them. And, and you know, I, that's I, what I got out see, of I it. I definitely think it was some sort of affair, which was cut out or never filmed because yeah. of, uh, remember, yeah. remember, um, uh, Arthur is in the is in a room uh, is in um, I'm sorry Liza's room right and she catches him in there and he says hey uh, w- I heard a car pull up was was that Joe yeah yeah as in why would she why would he ask yeah. that? oh why would he reference Joe yeah yeah uh, as in yeah. so so I'm wondering if there was another scene with mm. with Joe and Martha mm. and and almost like Arthur is somebody who's been spying on them mm-hmm. or yeah I mean if if they're both if they both live there in that hotel then it would be hard to if if there's an mm. affair going on it'd be hard for him to to ignore it forever so but then again look at the basement I don't think Joe's ever been down been down in the basement <laughs> <laughs> or, may, may, or, or maybe, maybe he's the worst plumber ever <laughs> actually here's another thought maybe he conspired with Martha to make the damn basement look that way so he'd have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're going for a swimming pool down there. Oh, uh, and, and 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 listen, what you, what you, I love this um, Dr. Harris, who's played by Al, Al Cliver. We got to talk about Al Cliver. Oh, Somebody's we got to talk awesome. about Al Cliver. But I love the fact that he's measuring brain waves of the dead in there. Yeah. He's like, what the hell? Is that? Where does okay, well, now, I will say this. Okay, okay. Now here's the thing. Even the first time I saw this movie, You're I was your time, man. <laughs> what, he, what he's doing is is this is I, I know this is, I know it looks weird and especially the 21st century eyes. It's gotta seem like the most bizarre thing in the world. Is like, hey, you mind if I hook this thing up to a, to a corpse to see sure, if the corpse ahead. is thinking? thinking? Good, no, ahead. the corpse is not thinking. You fucking re- no, he's not. But here's the thing: in the 70s, and I know this because of In Search of. Oh. I'm serious. I'm serious. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of weird crap that was going. Remember, oh, people people who didn't live through the '70s don't oh, know. Oh, there was the big supernatural craze or craze in the oh, occult and everything God, in the man. '70s. We're yeah. talking. We're not just talking about Bigfoot and shit yeah. like that. Which you didn't know that Joe actually played a Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> he could have played a Bigfoot. He could have. I love that. He, I'm sorry. I love when she finds his body. The fact that he's clogged up the the tub with his hair is just <laughs> the, the greatest things. So greatest things ever. Yeah. But, but anyway, it's not moss. It's hair. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no, anyway, if you did not live through the 70s and if you didn't um, you're probably lucky I'm not sure it's it's, it's kind of a toss up to be blind but you definitely lost out if you lived through the 80s anyway back yes, up yeah. back up let me, let me get to this one of the weird there were a lot of weird things there was a lot of uh, I mean there was a lot of uh, UFO stuff and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness mm-hmm. Monster and you know finding Noah's Ark and all kinds of batshit crazy stuff in the 70s <laughs> strange stuff one of the stranger things is there was a mo- there was this odd movement, um, kind of small, but on, in a lot of places in research facilities, they started hooking these machines that were used to to read brainwaves. There was a, there was a lot of research starting in the '60s, uh, trying to measure and figure out and differentiate between the various readings you could get out of out of human brains to try to figure out you know okay when you're concentrating on an image, we see this. When you're concentrating on a conversation, we see that. And just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. fi- figure this stuff out. Well, eventually some genius sometime in the 70s had the brilliant idea of, hey, what if we hook this shit up to a tree? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a joke, <laughs> but I'm not kidding. No, no. And there was a period of time when they were hooking these things that were used to read various brain waves on humans to, to get a, a sense of what... 
uh, areas of the brain were, mm. were being used to, to, you know, do math problems or to facilitate higher learning. Mm. And they hooked them up to plants and they were getting readings. Now, of course, for a long period of time, these people were like, oh, my God, what's going on with these plants? Until somebody figured out that these were just this is random batshit stuff caused by, you know, whatever your this this uh, contact is coming uh, coming up next to. I mean, these are this doesn't mean that the plant has sentience for fuck's sake. It's not Think. saying no kill eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> this is not the freaking horolog. Okay? Do not entry. Yeah, do not, do not do entry. No entry. <laughs> do not entry. Exactly. Anyway, so it's not as crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not as crazy as it saying. may seem. It's kind of tapping into what was sort of the yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but, but, but and, and there was and there was also a subset of that, and that it kind of grew out of that had people trying to figure out if there was brain activity immediately after death. In other words, mm, at what right. point did the brain cease to completely function? Mm-hmm. Trying to mm-hmm. set a specific point at mm-hmm. which brain death occurred mm. and trying to be able to use these yeah. these machines to do that. So as weird as it is, mm. and I know it's weird, it's not com- it's not as weird as it seems on first blush. Well, let me ask you this. Considering that the body he's trying it on is the one that's been lying in the basement underwater for like 40 years, can we not revoke his license at this point? You know, can we do not think that's grounds for like uh, dismissal? On that? But, but Al Cliver is so... But it's so, Al Cliver. So, it's yeah. Al Cliver. He's so handsome. He is. Do he's not, just such a... He's such Al, a <laughs> Al Cliver was in a lot, of, a lot of movies, and he's one of those faces that as soon as, as, soon mm. as you've seen him in a few movies, you, you would never forget oh, yeah. him. And of course, I saw him. He was, of course, in Zombie for Fulci. For Fulci. Right. But he was in a lot of other movies, and one of the one of the great things about him is that I can't remember him ever playing a villain. Did he ever play a villain? I, I just don't think his face would yeah, carry being I know, a villain because he just kind of looks like. Well, it's, it's a perfect example is, is what most people know him from, which is Zombie. I mean, he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a captain. He's got a little boat. He's a boat captain. That's what people. That's what he. That's what he see. You think of when you see Al Cliver is right. you know, <laughs> it's like you know he just looks like the guy who would who would work down at the local you know marina. <laughs> What's the matter? I don't know. He's in amazingly good shape for a corpse that's supposed to have been dead six years. Mm-hmm. What well, the guy said to open him up and see what he had for breakfast. How about we give it a try with? Uh... Forget it. Hmm? You want to wire this old guy on your brainwave machine? Well, why not? Okay. Okay. But you're on your own with this one. I warn you, though, when I get back, I'm going to give him an autopsy. Like I say, Al Cliver is just one of those guys who popped up in so many, well, not just Euro horror, but, I mean, you know, various European-produced uh, exploitation films from in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 once you've seen him, you never forget him because he had yeah. that, he's got that blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I say, I don't... If he played a villain, I can't remember it. He always seems to play either a good guy mm-hmm. or at least someone who's mm-hmm. a, a neutral, like he does in this film, where he plays right. the other doctor who... Who only has like two scenes, isn't it? Or three, yeah. scenes, three yeah, scenes yeah. at the most. And he, and, he, and he dies in that bizarre way with the glass... You know, embedded just, in his face. That was I know, very that was, weird. I know that, that just reeked of uh, we need to get a we need to eliminate this character yeah. and we can't figure out how to. So let's just have exploding glass kill him you know? for absolutely no reason. Yeah, exactly. Just, oh no, we need an, we need another interesting death. Come on, yeah, come yeah. On. But Al Cliver, of course, was not his real name. He was an Italian actor named per, uh, per Luigi Conti, and uh, he was in uh, a number of films for for Lucio Fulci. But he also worked with Jess Franco and a lot of other folks. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I remember seeing him in. Uh, you know, he he stands out. It's, it's impossible to miss him in Zombie, of course. Yeah, right. But uh, he's also impossible to miss in Jess Franco's uh, Devil Hunter, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's he's like the hero of the film, and I love the character name of that Peter Weston. Peter Weston. It's like the most American <laughs> name that we can slap onto this character. He's in uh, he's in one film that I really just by the title I, I, I've never actually amazing enough had never heard of this film until I was looking through his filmography. But I really want to see it as Twenty Twenty Texas Gladiators. You know? Oh no, that's a, that's a Joe D'Amato special. I knew it was an Amato yeah. D'Amato, and I was yeah. like, oh, I've got to see this one. Oh, point. I that's so. another one that I got my hands on years ago through the bootleg market, mm. and uh, oh, it's it's another mm. movie with do no entry. So. Do no entry. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a fun little movie. It's a post apocalyptic. I, I kind of yeah, yeah. I was going. I yeah, figured that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, movies. yeah. The title gives it away, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't suddenly think it was a space opera, right? <laughs> but it's only three years from now, now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, he was in the Black Cat for Fulci and the Beyond yeah. and Zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in uh, Demonia in 1990. He was in uh, one of his TV movies, Touch of Death. And well, he was, in, he was also in uh, the Ghost of uh, of Sodom as well for for him as well, where he played quote unquote a drunken Nazi. So uh, Al Cliver, those are the worst guys. Al Cliver, blonde. So I guess Which we, I we really want to play a drunken Nazi. Doesn't everyone want that in their filmography? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's drunken Nazi number four. <laughs> That's um, good as like you know seventh whore or something like yeah, that. Exactly. You know? But I will say this: the 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 scenes that Cliver is are is in the the two scenes that he's mm-hmm. in in this movie he's with David Warbeck in both of them and I think that, honestly they seem to have a, a nice rapport but then yeah. again I always like David Warbeck in a pretty much yep. oh, pretty yeah. much anything and not just because I love seeing him in things like Ark of the Sun God because he made several films <laughs> for uh, Antonio Margariti in, mm-hmm. in the eighties as well. Warbeck's is one of those British actors who I mean this is a this is a this is a stage trained mm. you know mm. Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts actor and here he is you know <laughs> sh- shooting zombies in the head for Lucio Fulci in Louisiana <laughs> it's like what the fuck is going on uh, but he's great because he really does he always brings a level of gravitas to everything that he does and mm-hmm. he was also I mean let's let's call a spade a spade the man was a handsome fella mm-hmm. he he could act and he knew what he was doing and he could he could he could he could, he could definitely get across his characters. And it, he always, it does sound like it was actually his voice. It seemed like he dubbed yeah. his own performance yeah. Yeah, I think in it was these too. movies. Yeah. I love seeing David Warbeck in these things, and I only wish he'd made like 30 more of these suckers because he's eminently believable mm-hmm. in these roles in these movies when he's playing, you know, doctor or hero or whatever crazy ass thing that he's doing. I will say there's a, there's a batshit stupid thing that he does in this movie. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a practical joke because apparently he and Catriona McCall really had a lot of fun mm-hmm. making this movie, and that's something that you hear a lot about when people are making horror movies because mm-hmm. sometimes when, they have a trouble keeping a straight face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody has a good time making a horror film sure. because you, you kind of got to because there's there's no way around it, and some of the stuff that you have to do to to elicit horror on screen is eminently silly in the practicalities of how you go about it. But apparently they played a lot of little practical jokes on the set. And one of them makes it into the movie near the end of the near the end of the movie when they're running around the hospital, uh, and and uh, he's you know firing an infinite number of bullets into an infinite number of zombies uh, without reloading. When they get onto the elevator, he goes to reload the reload the gun, and you'll notice that the way he's quote unquote reloading it is he's shoving a bullet into the barrel. <laughs> 
Oh, that's right. Now, that's that right. was a joke. That's mm-hmm. a, a little thing that he, he did mm-hmm. to put a smile on Catriona McCall's face, apparently. Mm-hmm. And in the editing process, it le- it was left in the movie. So you ah. have this idiotic shot <laughs> of this man who has got to know how to load this gun, right? <laughs> but he's trying to shove a bullet into the barrel. And it's just, and it's you know, it's just a silly little thing that you know they played around. Maybe, maybe if you load it that way, it magically becomes ten more bullets or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also stunning that like I don't know how many, I don't know how many body shots that he he offered, but the, every single time he he had a headshot was probably like three or four of them. Yeah. It's like he didn't, still didn't believe that. Oh, that's oh, how you didn't put it down. Somehow didn't add it, add it all yeah, up. It like, like, oh, wait a minute, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the head. It's the. You, you think after the first one, maybe the second one, but no, and never he never. It's like him. I'm gonna try the shoulder this time. Yeah, Let me try exactly. the elbow. See if the elbow does it. <laughs> the big toe, the big toe is usually what stops him. <laughs> now you uh, was there something else about Warbeck? Oh yeah, it's just Warbeck's performance in this, but also in everything. It's he always seems like he's the undercover cop. Playing something else, you know, it, <laughs> and, and, and he's played enough, you know, policemen and, yeah. and law enforcement anyway. But mm. still, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like uh, Spielberg's home game of Catch Me If You Can. Mm. You know, he, yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to always be a, a cop or a police officer or a detective playing something else. So in this movie, of course, he was playing a doctor or a surgeon. Yeah. You know, but but no, he's he he's actually an undercover cop or or de- de- detective in some way playing. a Playing a doctor. <laughs> He's there to really find out, like, why Liza has screwed up the whole city of New Orleans, yeah. you know. For, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what he always seems like to me. He's always a, a detective. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess you've seen Ark of the Sun God, so yeah. I mean, he's not a detective. He's an adventurer, but it's... But a, he's a detective playing, playing an adventurer. An adventure. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I can see yeah, how that would be. There's well, always well, multi, you're saying there are always multiple levels well, to a performance by David Warbeck. That's well, right. Along those lines, actually, I, my understanding is that he was up for the role of James Bond at one point. Uh, yes, apparently in the, uh, Roger in the 80s, Moore, yeah. when they weren't sure if Roger Moore yeah. was going, and Roger Moore then became available and, uh, and took the role instead. But it would have been interesting to see... How it would have played out with David Warbeck as, I agree. as, as James I agree. Bond. Yeah, he was. Uh, I can't remember if there's footage of him doing uh, a screen test for it or not. I cannot. I've seen like the uh, the Sam Neill test footage oh, and things like yeah, yeah. But I can't remember if there's some if there's footage of Warbeck doing it or not. But I do mm. know that he was. Consi- he, yeah, there was talk of him being a possibility. Uh, sometime in the early 80s when uh, Roger Moore was creeping into his 90s and mm-hmm. just was no, was no longer really believable. Well, one of the things that I read so many, I read so much and so many things about different movies over the course of the past 20 or 30 years, uh, really pointing out how old I am at this point, mm-hmm. uh, that I, sometimes I forget things until I go back and reread them. Because I read uh, years ago this piece by uh, Jay Slater, or Slatter, I I guess it's Jay Slater, uh, years ago, where he wrote a a little piece, uh, an essay about this movie. And one of the things that he uh, related was, well, I'll just just read it out here because it's absolutely fascinating. Despite the the film's lack of narrative cohesion, producer Fabio DeAngelis announced on numerous occasions that he planned to capitalize on its worldwide popularity with an official sequel directed by Fulci. The follow-up never materialized, but since Fulci's death, German and Swiss money men were keen to produce the Beyond 2, Beyond the Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> David Warbeck's... That's far. The yeah, Beyondering. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Beyondering. Yeah. Right, 
David Warbeck suggested Antonio Margheriti, Italy's king of all Italian action films, mm. but uh, uh, Michel Soave was provisionally recruited as a more appropriate director. Soave had worked with Fulci before as an actor and hands-on technician, and his visual sense, as seen in Della Morte Della More, is far more fluid and surreal than Margheriti's. Unfortunately, Soave's career was interrupted by the necessity of caring for his sick child, the Beyond 2, planned to continue immediately after the first film's flight into Hades, was permanently consigned to limbo after Warbeck's premature death in 1997. Hmm. So I would have loved to have oh, seen man. Yeah. Uh, Michel Suave take a shot at that. The man who, yeah. the man who made the sect, the church, yeah. Della Morte Della More, mm-hmm. whew, that, would have been, that would have been a dream project. Even if it had been a total clusterfuck, it would have still been visually fascinating. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I definitely want to see know, that. Imagine, you know, 1995... Uh, this getting made, um, I would have. Uh, it would have. It would. It would have been a joy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. well, it's a couple more things I just wanted to say about this film that uh, I wanted to point out. And one one scene, one one scene I want to point out is the one that kind of always escapes me until, or I forget about until I watch the film and it and and it happens again. And every time it just, I just have to grin at, at what a brilliant scene it is. And I don't know why. I, don't, I guess it just sneaks up on me because it's it's very subtle as compared to the things that most people remember, like our you know spider attack and all that stuff but the scene close to the end of the film but where Liza and uh and the doctor are they drive away from the hotel yeah and the camera mm-hmm. just stays on the hotel and all the lights come on and suddenly yeah. all these bodies are like moving oh, yeah, yeah. every time I see it I'm like god that's just a brilliant yeah, it's, but it's, it's a just, great scene but yeah. it's just so subtly brilliant yeah, and I guess yeah. as opposed to everything else in the film that's just so in your face that right. that scene I just think is just wonderful mm-hmm. well that's just it I think that there are a lot of those subtle moments scattered throughout the movie mm-hmm. but that they are really overshadowed you said that you have a you have trouble remembering it until yeah, you're watching until, it again yeah, yeah. and I think that there's a reason for that is that mm-hmm. those those set pieces those violent gory over the top special effects centered set pieces mm-hmm. push that, the subtle stuff right mm-hmm. out of your mind mm-hmm. now the good the good thing is is that those subtle atmospheric bits mm-hmm. still creep into creep into what causes the film to be so memorable on other levels other than the holy shit that eyeball just exploded or dude just died with a bunch of pieces of glass in his face or holy shit yeah. the head just exploded or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but these things all they over the course of the period over the course of the film they take their uh they they have their effect and they 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 take uh, a certain level of uh slow build and kind of wrap themselves around everything because you're right you forget about yeah. these specific instances you might yeah. remember the fact that there's some neat fog or that mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's obviously actually filmed in Louisiana and you mm-hmm. get that kind of swampy mm-hmm. sweaty misty feeling and it because it, it really looks like a place all of the all of the uh they, and they did a good job matching the the interiors to the exteriors they when they went when they went to Rome because well, everything looks feel. yeah, yeah, yeah feel everything looks old yeah. and aged in a natural way it looks like the interiors match the exteriors and they're, 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 all of this is is very it, it seems authentic mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. with the the poorly translated signs that just don't work yeah you don't recall them. Mm-hmm. Until they're in front of you, but they're such a part of the whole piece exactly. that they they boost the they boost the effect of those big mm-hmm. shock moments in in a way that 
is is absolutely beautiful and it's it takes a filmmaker with as much experience as Lucio Fulci had remember by the time he made this movie he'd been making movies for over 20 years mm-hmm. so by the time I mean his first movie I think was in like I mean, uh, was in 1959 mm-hmm. something like that right, yeah. so by the time he made this he's got decades of experience of making movies and knows how to do what he wants to do. He's made a lot of thrillers, and he's made movies that kind of, one way or another, kind of crossed the line into horror before he even really took that full step into the genre. And so he knew how to, he definitely knew how to build tension. He knew how to set things up, and he knew how to have the payoff be something that you might see coming but wouldn't expect in the way he presents it. And so all of those little things, the things that, Somebody who would dismiss this movie, and there's a lot of people over the years, from the mm. moment it was oh, the moment sure. it was released until today, mm. who are who are keen to dismiss a movie like this, and especially the Fulci horror films, mm. because of their gory set pieces, because of the incredible violence on screen and the ridiculous levels to which it reaches. But all of the little stuff, the subtle filmmaking technique that allows that stuff to be better than just the sum of its parts. In other words, to build an entire cohesive whole that, yeah, okay, narratively it's batshit crazy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to trying to necessarily string it all together is something that takes like five viewings and a whole <laughs> lot of, you know, fan fiction to kind of fill in the gaps. <laughs> but, but then when you have a scene like that, that's a perfect visual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It uh, it's, 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 right. I mean, you've got a hotel and, and you've got five or six lights that come on and then you've got five, five or six shapes that pass by those lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, those are the ghosts that live in the ha- in mm-hmm. in the house or in the mm-hmm. hotel, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. But it's just a perfect visual. It's it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfect. And and this is this is a ha- to a, to a degree, this is a haunted house movie. Yeah. It's an old dark house story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cranked up to 11. Right. Yeah. And it's um it's kind of amazing to to witness the old dark I mean the, the old dark house story dating back to the silent era mm-hmm. being updated in such a grotesque over the top fashion. Something that occurred to me this time around the, the the incredible clarity of this Blu-ray is something that I don't know that I I don't I don't I don't know that I thought this before this viewing of it and with this sharp clarity, kind of making it evident. But that opening sepia tone sequence at the beginning, mm-hmm. really, I mean, it goes on for a little while, and it's not it's not that I'm saying that it goes on too long, but it goes on long enough for the feeling of it because nobody's speaking. It's it's mm-hmm. quietly done. It's just the sounds of those boats on the water. Mm-hmm. And kind of the, the the natural sounds of the the, the swamp around them, mm-hmm. it started to feel a little hammerish, mm-hmm. and it feel, feel feels a little bit this yeah. time around to me like he's kind of planting a flag and saying, "You think this mm-hmm. is what here's mm-hmm. I'm presenting yeah. to yeah. you that kind of gothic because it's very much yeah. a gothic feeling thing, and I think there's a reason to have." Tinted it sepia mm-hmm. because it was shot in color, and I mean right, the, yeah, that sequence right. was actually released in color in other countries. I think Germany, which I think is on the on the Blu-ray, they show you that alternate mm-hmm. color version of the opening sequence. So to to sepia tone it is to give you immediately a different feeling for what this sequence is mm-hmm. to cast you not just back to 1927, but to kind of put you in mind of older films. Mm-hmm. Uh, either the universal horror films or the Hammer films, and it feels more hammerish to me. But there's a tinge of that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, pit, it's pit, the, it's pitchfork mad, wielding. Right, yeah, it's the mad, right. mad folks, mad yeah. villagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah mad the, the, villagers, the, the, the pitchfork yeah, yeah. wielding. Yeah. You know, literally pitchforks and 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 torch <clears throat> and wielding chains and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and chains. 
and he, and it all feels like that's what this is right up until that burst of violence. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. suddenly, yeah, right. It doesn't prepare you, you're right. It, yeah. it makes that even more shocking, the, the yeah. how, how gory all that is, the violence there. Now, here's something that I think is interesting to take note of the lack of in this movie. Uh-huh. There's no sex. That's true. No, Which I no. think is a little, I think is a little odd. I'm not saying that there should have been any sex in the movie. That, that would have added nothing to this story. Right, right. But the fact that there isn't mm-hmm. any sex mm-hmm. is a little odd, considering how transgressive and over the top yeah. and, and and just exploitative the entire affair mm-hmm. is. That there isn't any of that because good Lord knows sex sells. Even mm-hmm. you know, yeah. even just some nudity. Mm-hmm. Adds to adds to getting you know the, adds to the possibility of getting butts on seats. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that there's no nudity in this film. That's a good uh, point. There's nudity in House by the Cemetery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zombie, you know, there's no sex in Zombie, but there's, but there's nudity, nudity because you have the nude yeah. dri- diver, the girl that goes diving nude. So you even at least have that part right. there. You know, so well, right there's also there's also really. the shower scene with the the woman True, who gets right. the yeah, you know. Yeah. But there's none of that in this movie. And it's there's a little barely strange. an attraction, actually, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no. I mean, there's no even. There's not even an indicator between the two leads, but played by uh, McCall and Warbeck, that there's going to be that there's like some kind of hint of romance. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, even the scene where they're in that restaurant eating, mm-hmm. you don't see this. This doesn't yeah. feel like flirting. Right. So that is uh, mm-hmm. something odd left out of this that I would have, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're like mapping out yeah. a 1980s horror exploitation yeah, like, film. Okay, you know, you think at some point somebody's going to say, okay, shower scene here, you know? You know yeah, 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 exactly. Especially if you're dealing with a hotel. <laughs> you know, uh, Maid decides she's going to uh, take a bath in this tub that, that's filled with Joe's hair. So she takes, <laughs> so she strips, and gets, something like that. <laughs> woman, woman is recovering from being horrified from what happened two minutes ago. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Strips, strips new. Strips <laughs> nude to stare at herself in mirror. You know, something like that. So, well, of course, I know we already talked somewhat about it, but the the spider scene, which which I know is the you know one of the most famous parts of this movie. I just love, I love the sounds. <laughs> that are oh, it's, it's just incredible. Okay. Foley yeah. work on this is amazing. And yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah. And I just had to like. After after watching the scene and then backing it up and watching it again, I, I started to realize there's like there's like 18 different sounds that are being offered, <laughs> for, for the, you know, to, to bother the audience member number one, yeah, yeah. but also to possibly be the sound of tarantulas, which tarantulas are very loud. By the way, yeah, by the way, know, here's, man, they here's, just like keep you up all night. I, 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 I don't, I don't, really I don't know if you're aware of this, yeah. but I have it on good authority that the, all those sounds that are being quote unquote made by those tarantulas, that's really just the sounds of an ostrich. <laughs> 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 Trying to grab somebody at the groin. Yeah, he's got to say. Yeah, yeah, he's got, he's always, always, always pecking, nut, nut pecking at the balls. Nut pecking punching at the balls. Well, I, I wrote down a few things. Of course, these are, you know, again, some some things that I I imagine this is that's what this is. The okay. sound. So, so the very first thing is, and, and of course, the visual that you're being offered is, you know, the tarantulas are just off in the distance. You can you start to realize, okay, those are tarantulas, but the, the sound, <laughs> you know, the first thing you start hearing is just like the smashing of like graham crackers. <laughs> 
and then, there, and then there's, and there's the, the bending of like thin metal, <laughs> metal frames, and then there's then there's the one of the weirdest ones, which is a squeaky pulley system. There's a, <laughs> well, you know, some of those spiders need to oil their lamps right. there. Oil their <laughs> but, but when you watch this again, you will instantly go, "Boom! That is a pulley right there, and it's yeah. squeaking just like that." Well, and, you, and then there's even goes further. It sounds like there's like. Somebody eating like a, a, a mouthful of Pringles, <laughs> <laughs> and then of course the, the and then drumming with the empty can, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you can't just have one. No, you can't. That's right. And then, and then it goes in. Then then there's the obvious one, there, which was the, the squeaking of bats. Yeah. In, in mm-hmm. the very background, but and then you hear like. Well, and then the roar of Godzilla. <laughs> and there's, there is moaning yeah. that happens close to the very end. And then I swear there's a dog barking. <laughs> a and, then dog? Old, and then there's an old school preacher that's like reciting something. Oh, wow. Oh, now, no, I remember saying, okay, you know I'm going to have to drop the sound clip in here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got to hear it. Just talking, but you can hear that he's reciting something. But um, but yeah, I, I guess there's a religious tarantula there. <laughs> Reverend, Reverend tarantula. I think they're trying to gather the bats, really. <laughs> but that 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 squeaky pulley just killed me. It just I just had to write all those things down. Well, it's it's um, it's funny, what you say makes me think of you know that the whole one of the things that makes this just such a classic film is that this is kind of like. The behind-the-scenes people, the overall crew, everybody's just going for it with everything they do. Every, every, yeah. Everybody from uh, Sachetti, you know, the writer we talked about, who's, who's by the way, just some of the guys, that, some of the people this guy worked with. I mean, he worked with both the Babas, yeah. worked with Argento. He's with everyone, yeah. Yeah, he worked with Lindsay, he worked with Diodato, Margariti, you know, Martino. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just amazing how many people this guy worked with. So 
Um, also, uh, you got Fabio Fritzi doing the music, which is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, it is. Oh, it is. Giannato De Rossi. I mean, it's just one of the great makeup artists. Yeah. I mean, did oh, all yeah. the classic stuff. And you're talking about this, whoever was in charge of the sound effects. It's just obviously, yeah. Fulci <laughs> said, "Put me something together for an tarantula attack." Yeah, exactly. And boy, he went for it. <laughs> he was well, like, well, and that's that's every, everything. What do you got in that room? Over yeah, there? exactly. It's it's almost it, everything is turned up to eleven in this fucking yeah. thing. Okay, yeah. and that's yeah. one of the best things about this to me is that this is every. You're right. This is everybody involved firing on all thrusters. It's mm. It's like it's it's the classic thing of if every other movie of this type was a knife fight, mm-hmm. fucking Fulci brought a shotgun. <laughs> and by God, we're gonna just keep yeah. Yeah. fucking pumping that thing yeah. and and blowing holes and shit when it's out of bullets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just gonna keep going. Yeah, and it's one of the it, it it's 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 that. You know, it's that classic moron brought a shotgun to a knife fight <laughs> yeah. because dumbass with the knife is going to die. Yeah, right. And everybody is just, they're working. They seem to have just been, I don't know what, what was going on? What was going on in these, in these, in these creative people's lives where yeah. this is like, it all comes together and it becomes this yeah. mad amalgam. Was it just the chemistry of some mad genius like Lucio Fulci, you know, Scaring everybody half to death and yeah. raging against them until they got what he wanted out of them, or was it was it just yeah. that that alchemy of of things coming together and it suddenly being what it becomes? See, I, mean, I can't imagine. My favorite sequence in the film, on the whole film, is really the most ridiculous in the whole film. Is uh, and and I can't imagine how it possibly came together. A combination of you know things forgotten, things invented on the spot. You know, brilliant ideas, bad ideas, and all, but it's the whole. Where the girl, the little girl, and her mother, you know, the whole sequence where In the they, morgue, yeah. In oh, the yeah. morgue. Yeah. You know, the way it begins with the girl sitting outside by herself, and that right. gurney, that guy comes by pushing that, it just the makes squeaky, that squeaky, The squeaky yeah. gurney, yeah. And she goes, you know, she goes, you, well, her mom's in there, okay, we've seen, you know, our corpse of Schweik. Of 60 years old. Attached to the brain monitor. Yeah. We've seen the brain monitor start to can, move. Can twink? Yeah. So we know any second he's going to pop off the table. Right. And so, or Joe is, you know, one of these guys are going to get up and attack this woman. Doesn't happen. No. Nope. You know, but she it, looks and sees something that she, she screams, screams at, but yeah. what does she see? Because from what we, we never see these guys move. Right. The little girl comes in, her mother's laying there, this ridiculous thing with this huge, massive vat of acid, which you just leave on top <laughs> shelves because that's the best place to put them. <laughs> got I got some in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Of it, you know, disintegrates their mom and this whole idea of, um, of this puddle of her mom's gore, her disintegrated right. mother. Her, dis- her disintegra- disintegrating liquefied flesh, flesh rolling across rolling the Rolling across towards this girl's mm-hmm. feet. If you describe this whole sequence to somebody, it would sound like the most preposterous thing in the world. <laughs> right. And, and yet these are it one, works. It works. And, these, works are one of those, well. and these are one of those scenes that you either get or you don't. If that's, mm-hmm. like, you either become a you're a horror fan or you're like... Nah, this this is ridiculous. This is not for me, you know. So it's and the, out, the it's, music in that sequence, yes, is brilliant, mm-hmm. it's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that you started talking about the sequence with the perfect the the perfect header. the The mm-hmm. mark that starts this mm-hmm. is one of those brilliant little moments mm-hmm. that is in a gore scene. It's that that girl, yeah, that mm-hmm. soon to be orphaned girl uh-huh. sitting out there all alone in that hallway by herself mm. and that gurney the squeaky gurney being pushed by by the attendant so that's as good as anything in Hitchcock or, right. or Jacques mm-hmm. Dernier or all it's, these people like, yeah. it's there's absolutely nothing in that that you could complain about no. if you're going if your complaints are about the gore in the film or, right. the, or whatever right. because what that is is that film has presented you with this character. You don't know anything about her. This is your introduction to this character, but you automatically understand she's sad, she's she's mm-hmm. she's in grief, mm-hmm. and she's sitting there, and that scene builds 
tension. Yeah. But it's anticipated tension of of something that you do. There's no actual. Um, there's no actual bomb that's about to explode. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 The, the, so it's a bizarre sense of tension. But see that's but see that's just it. We are st- the, the the cutting back and forth. We do have a slow build of a possible bomb because you're right. Our suspicion is the first time you yeah. watch that movie, right. yeah. one of these corpses is about to get up and start right. killing yeah. people. And they never do. Yeah. It never happens. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 <sighs> it is a joy. Yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. is a joy. Yeah. But I like I said, the image that going through this movie again is that, you know, if everybody else was at a knife fight, Fulci brought the goddamn <laughs> shotgun exactly right. and would not stop blasting until he finally made his point. Until, until he sent everybody to hell. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, for me, the, the again, I know we could talk hours about this, more hours about this film, but I'll, I'll say my last thing. I do want, I wanted to say a couple of interesting things about about my girl, Catriona McCall, I did, I did, who uh, loved in, uh, also in this, she was also in Gates of Hell, a.k.a. City of the Living Dead, and House by the Cemetery she did for Fulci as well. Yep. Um, I always think she's really good in these films, you know, and, she's uh, and wonderful she, in those and films. she's great in interviews when she talks about them. She's done a lot of, of convention appearances. She does an audio commentary along with the late David Warbeck uh, in for this film on this on this disc here. Yeah. It's really interesting. But a couple of things that uh, I I really did not know until researching again for this podcast is I think it's great that she now manages a hotel. <laughs> in, yes. in the south of France, and uh, yeah. I would—I don't know if I'd check into that hotel actually. If I was, uh, <laughs> Especially in your room, not, not room thirty-six. You're not in room thirty-six. But I thought that was—I got a chuckle when I saw that. The other thing too, I thought was really interesting. I had—I had never picked up on before. Is that the one time she was married to the uh, actor John Finch, who I've always really, really oh, yeah. liked a lot. Yeah. I consider him to be have one of the greatest voices in film. Um, and I was actually just recently have been. Rewatching one of my very favorite Shakespeare adaptations, which is uh, Polanski's Macbeth, which John Finch plays Macbeth in that. Yeah. I just think that's a brilliant film. I think he also he also was in one of the very few and possibly the only adaptation of a Michael Moorcock story. You know, which uh, is the yeah. final you, program. Uh, you'd be right, you'd be right about only. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was the only one that uh, had ever been in adapted from Moorcock. But it's also known as it's called the final program. I think it's also known as the last days of man on earth. But right. But yeah, I, I'd great never, great film. Great I'd, film. I'd never known that uh, Catriona McCall was married to John Finch for a while there. So I thought that was a little interesting bit of, of uh, trivia there. But. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna. I think I'm. Uh, yeah, again, I just we love this film. It's just fantastic. I mean, this actually, to be on for me, you know, would I've never, I've never actually made myself make a favorite Euro all-time favorite Euro horror list. But if I did, it might be number one. But it would definitely be, it would definitely be butting heads with you know with with uh, for for the number one spot with things like Horror Rises from the Tomb and Suspiria and Black Sunday. I mean, it would definitely be top. It'd probably be top three at least for me of, of all time favorite mm-hmm. European. Well, that's an interesting films. question. There, what's um, just and I I had not planned to ask this question. So if I put you guys on the spot, I apologize. We'll hate you forever. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, what is what would be not your favorite Lucio Fulci horror film, but your favorite Lucio Fulci film? Period. Uh, it's this. It's beyond. This, this is it. And I have, I have. I'm, I'm not one of the fans you hate, so don't punch me because I have, <laughs> I have watched, I have watched more. I have watched actually several. Now, not as many as you, but I have seen quite a lot of Fulci films outside of these big four. Uh, this is still my favorite. Um, there's, there's several of his films that I still really want to see, even though I've been warned off by some of them. I, 
I, I, I want to see, just because of some of the people in it, I do want to see Murder Rock, although I probably shouldn't. No, no, no. I, or, or I, will, like not, I will not warn, I, yeah, I will not warn anyone away from Murder Rock because, I mean, that's one of his, uh, his 80s films that I think, it's a giallo. And I think it works like a fucking charm. I think it's great. Okay, cool. I do. I really that. like Murderer. I do want to see. It's that. got a that yeah. that title is yeah. is is the worst part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that title's terrible. But. Well, Con- Conquest is an absolute blast. <laughs> now, yeah. Now, so, yeah. Oh, Conquest I'm is being really kind. Con- yeah, saying it's an absolute well, blast, but it's a, it's it's a lot of fun. One of these really. days, the three of us are going to do Conquest. Yeah, yeah. Show. But uh, another Fulci I want to see, but it's probably like impossible to get a hold of. Maybe I don't know, but I want to see it because it's got the girl that. The actress that uh, plays Emily is in. It's got the Sweet House of Horror, and apparently was a TV. Production. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of the several TV productions he made in the uh, the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it some years ago. I don't remember much about it. I do remember not being all that impressed. I wasn't all that impressed mm-hmm. with his the the three of his TV House of Clocks oh, yeah. and Touch of Death. None of the, none of them really did much for me. I would like to go back and revisit them mm-hmm. because I saw these in a rush. In I'd say the early two thousands, yeah. but uh, I was not, I was not impressed, and I, I don't even remember her being in them. But I, I don't remember very much about them other than Brett Halsey being in Touch of Death. Okay, so yeah, Beyond is my favorite. Uh, Fulci, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. That's uh, definitely Beyond is my favorite for Fulci. Yeah. You're both wrong. <laughs> uh, we're about to get conquest. Some, about to get some it's conquest. conquest. Go ahead and minute. <laughs> no, no, no. I always have a tendency to, to want to divide the Fulci stuff up into his horror stuff into his thrillers and yeah. and and uh, kind of subdivide things because I think there is a although there's a lot of uh, carryover technique. And uh, of course, you can see some of the same um, ideas filter into some of some of his films because he often had a hand in uh, crafting his stories, the for his films, especially starting in the late '60s when he had enough experience and a certain cachet and and uh, success within the Italian film industry to be able to to direct things that he initiated to a certain degree. I'm a big fan of uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. That is a good one. That is a good one. Uh, I also love the uncut version of One on Top of the Other. No, I've a- seen that. Yeah. A- AKA Perversion mm-hmm. Story. Mm-hmm. There's a shorter version that got released on DVD. I think the longer version is an absolutely fantastic thriller. I think Beatrice Chinsey is a phenomenal film. I think For the Apocalypse is phenomenal. Um, it's it's just an incredible film. The Psychic, I, I while not being a great film, is, mm-hmm. is, is a damned good one. Mm-hmm. Not one that necessarily something I want to revisit a lot, but it's a good movie. Mm. Uh, there are so many good Lucio Fulci films that mm. I will I will tell you I think the, the Beyond is my favorite of his horror movies easily. Mm. Yeah. But when I start thinking seriously about what is my favorite Fulci film, to to a strange degree, it's hard for me to say mm. it is it mm-hmm. because as soon as I'm not watching the Beyond, yeah. I'm wanting to watch his other movies mm-hmm. because every time I watch or rewatch one of them, I see things I didn't see before. Yeah. But of course, now we are asking. <laughs> and I'll be what honest, is your favorite? It, uh, it, uh, I almost give you the treatment. I'm going to treat you like uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. If, if, I, if, I, if I had to, if I had to, um, it's probably Lizard and a Woman's Skin. Mm, cool. Um, and I and I, I like lo- that a lot. But I, I but I also love the Beyond. I love I love Zombie mm-hmm. and um, the Black Cat is good too. I like, I like the, the Black, Black Cat. The well. Black Cat. I mean, it's not a, one of my favorite. But I do it's, think it's, it's a lesser good, film. It's yeah. a lesser film, and it's and it's got. Um, it still looks great. It's got that great full yeah, look yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Those films there. Oh, I really like it. Don't get me wrong. I rewatched it this past October just because I hadn't seen it in so long, and it's. You know, it's got a new, it's got a, a really great Blu-ray out there right now from Arrow, and it's well worth your time. 
But uh, I just I, I I do stay frustrated at the people who have rarely explored any deeper into his filmography than just his horror films because mm-hmm. his thrillers he knew how to craft a thriller and I think those tension building techniques pay off beautifully when he started making horror movies. Mm-hmm. But there's more there. There's a lot more to his career. It's a great photo of him uh, from this scene where he's sitting on the bridge that they were filming on, and obviously the same day where the winds just oh, whipping yeah. up, and he's just sitting there in that chair with his hair all blowing everywhere. It's yeah. just a great picture. It's of a him. great photo. Fo- it's a great photo. Fo- if I, I'd love to get a, a framed, a framed oh, no, blow of like that the wall, yeah. picture there. So yeah. cool. Well, all right. I guess we'll uh, we'll uh, stop talking about the beyond instead of continuing on into the night, which we <laughs> probably could easily do. But I want to thank everybody for us for sitting down and listening to us uh, talk about mm-hmm. one of our favorite Lucio Fulci films. And uh, uh, I have no idea what will gather the three of us together in front of the microphone mm-hmm. uh, next. I have no idea what film we would want to cover next. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll probably do something. Some we've we've got several good candidates we've mentioned before, and so we'll probably do something over the summer because uh, summer you know, seems right for Italian. Films, I so. I agree. You know mm-hmm. what? I'd I'd like I'd like to get us to dive back into the uh, the Road Warrior ripoffs again. Oh yeah, I can never get enough of the post apocalyptic stuff. Oh, we've already talked about all of them. <laughs> yeah, no, we we never it's such only a, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> there, we'll just there, do, we'll just there, we want to do narrow it down to the subgenre of uh, things that. Film that were supposed to take place in New York that are you know filmed in Italy. No, that's still uh, that. Uh, I'm still discovering more of those every day. It's like I never heard of this one. It's another what the hell? Another what the Italian hell is film this? that's supposed to take place in New York. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll uh, talk about the next few things we have coming up on the podcast, and then we will say sayonara. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the future. No, this is us saying uh, hello again. We'd just like to thank you once again for being here to listen to us talk about the beyond. This is uh, something at that <laughs> at length. We we apologize for the incredible length, and if you've made it this far, yeah. you ain't done yet. That's right. Now you ne- have to go to the beyond. <laughs> <laughs> beyond two. <laughs> The quickening. <laughs> but uh, we would like to say that uh, next month, uh, Troy and I will once again be over on the Nashy cast feed doing another Beyond Nashy episode. We've decided mm-hmm. to cover another Jess Franco movie. And after pouring through the list of only two or three Jess Franco movies that are available. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. We didn't do many. You know, He didn't do very many films. Only seven billion. Yeah. Uh, and we've covered all of them. No. We've decided to uh, cover another Jess Franco film. Uh, which one are we covering next month? It's Night Has a Thousand Desires. I think I got that title right. Uh, yeah. It released recently on Blu-ray by Mondo Macabro. Mm-hmm. And it's one that uh, I know very little about. Same here. But I'm very excited to... I'm mm-hmm. very excited to visit because it's an unseen Jess Franco yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Alina Romay. That's right. Ah, that's always <laughs> always a good, a good thing. thing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry I, let I, me I, clean I, the drool. Yeah, I got, got, <laughs> got kind of lost the recorder there. here before we short it, short it out. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I do want to thank Jeff. Jeff, thank you. You don't do these very often with us. Not often um, enough. Mainly because we really don't like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's understandable. But I do want to Our take, ratings go way down, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to take the time to, once again, publicly, downloads. <laughs> publicly thank you for uh, the artwork for, that you do for the podcast, for both of them. That it's been a lot of fun. I really you have. go out of your way to uh, do something that makes the blog look a little bit more interesting and to yeah. uh, make us appear a fair bit more talented and competent well, than we need, actually you are. You need a lot of help, Troy. You know, <laughs> Troy Troy's okay. I just sell myself. I, I, yeah, I sell myself. Uh, like <laughs> Troy's very good at appearing to be good at things. <laughs> I, Smoke and mirrors, my friend. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but but well, I mean, hell, Troy. I mean, how many podcasts are you a part well, of? Well, yes, I am. I am. I, I, I will go. That was a nice segue. I'm gonna and think, <laughs> I'm just because awesome. you said that. I'm gonna plug my other podcast, <laughs> a podcast that I've been part of, often on now for you. Well, I've been on every episode, but the podcast itself is is a little bit uh, irregular in its in its uh, uh, publications. There, we are. It's uh, we basically we don't do it every month, but when we can get together, myself. And uh, uh, three other people, uh, including uh, Nashville's horror host, Dr. Gangrene, and then also uh, Bobby Hazard and his wife, Miss Hazard. Anyway, that's their podcast names, but uh, <laughs> I can tell you that Miss Hazard is also a drummer with me and uh, our band, The Exotic Ones. But anyway, we are doing a podcast on the music of Alice Cooper, and we have actually, as of our most recent episode, which should be up uh, by the time you hear this, uh, it will probably, probably should be hitting about the time, it's going to be on uh, um, his actually the last two studio albums that he did. So we've now gone through all of Alice, Alice Cooper's studio albums, all 25 of them. Good Lord. Um, yes, but it's not the end of the podcast uh, because we're going to uh, continue to do uh, some odds and ends about uh, going to cover some of live recordings, videos, odd side projects. So we're, you know, so again, it, it uh, doesn't appear every month, but it's called the Cooper Cast, and it's also under the umbrella of a network of podcasts. It's called Spring Break Forever. There's several different shows that appear under it, so you can find it either by looking up Cooper Cast or you can look up Spring Break Forever. But if you're an Alice Cooper fan and like to hear people talking about the man's work, which is always interesting, not always good, but always interesting, uh, check it out. Well, that's interesting that you managed to get a plug in for one of your bands as well. Ah, uh, well, hey, you know, I'm not I'm nothing if not a <laughs> not a, a, a huckster, a pro, a pro huckster. You're a slut. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> love me. Love me and listen to my music before I before I vanish into obscurity. <laughs> we we can't have before that. Before I'm stuck in the painting and can't get out forever in limbo. <laughs> You're stuck in limbo. You're stuck in the beyond. I am. <laughs> well, once again, uh, thank you both for being here to record this show with me. Um, I guess it's time to go. Thank you guys once again for listening. Yeah. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn, and I want to thank Jeff's wife, Amanda, for the fact that we've been in our house much, much later and, and than we should have been. And sorry, Amanda, for keeping you up. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Nelson. Thank you so much. Knowing that he's going to have to suffer because he's his wife. I'm going to get slapped. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, guys.
Shotgun. 